Welcome to the New Author Podcast with your hosts, Jerry Evanoff and Lindsay Evanoff. The super siblings will take you through their days as they write, publish, and market their books. They'll talk about their successes, their mistakes, and everything in between. And occasionally, they'll veer off into tangents that will most likely be discussion of which episode of The Office is their favorite. Seriously, they talk about The Office a lot. So sit back, relax, and prepare to be educated and entertained, but mostly entertained. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Author Podcast. Uh, today is February 27th, 2022. This is episode number 155. I am one of the hosts of the podcast today. Uh, my name is Jerry Evanoff. And with me, I do have a guest co-host this week. I'm very excited to have my friend and friend of the podcast, Rich Casey. Rich, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jerry. I'm really happy to be here to talk with you about writing or whatever. But I really think what you want to know is what the golfing conditions are here in South Louisiana, right? I would love to know that because I I have news on that for later, but I would love to know that. Yeah. I'm going to make you jealous because it's 60 degrees out there. It's sunny. Really good golf weather. Yeah. It's sunny. The rough is short. The greens are soft and the fairways are just that kind of bright green that you get in early spring where, you know, the ball hits it and just rolls forever. So (laughs) any chance you want a visitor for a couple of days, I'm just saying (laughs) we'd love to 60 degrees and um, sunny is like really good golf weather because it's not too hot. It's not too cold. So I'd love to do that. So that's the thing about, about living down here is you, you got golf all year round so is it is it golf. the same all year round does it get oh, no. hotter in the summer oh by june by june the fairways burn out unless they're watering them really heavy and it's kind of like playing on concrete so it's uh you get like long the, drives I, though yeah well, believe me i need those i like the idea of giving weather reports by how the golf golf climate is that's how the yeah, yeah. channel should do it yeah. um, all right so before we get started before i get into the regular kind of cadence of this podcast i just want to to ask about you and let the let the listeners know a little bit about who you are so if you could just tell me kind of okay. who you are you know and again like i said before we started here my favorite question that any interviewer asks is how the person got started writing i'd love to hear your story um it, you know i love here when they're different from everybody else and so you know let me know what right. you got and if you talk about yourself and then we'll get into it okay well my name is rich casey as jerry introduced uh my real name though that's kind of a pen name of mine my real name is rich kazmierczak which is a good sturdy polish name that nobody can pronounce in fact when i moved down here to south louisiana some 30 odd years ago the first time i used my name the person just looked at me and said you gotta change it that's not a good cajun (laughs) name so so anyways i started writing initially creative writing back in my university days which were back in the 1970s so it's been a while uh, and then I took a long 30-year break from it when wow. I got my PhD and I went into academics. And you spend all day, every day writing, but it's all nonfiction. Uh, so you, you realize by the end of the day, you're burned out. You just don't feel like doing any kind of fiction. But then in 2015, I retired and uh, got back into it slowly at first in fits and starts. And then by 2019, which is when I think I met you, Yep. Uh, in in Scotland, uh, Scotland, right? Scotland, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I was back into it pretty serious, but I, it was still kind of uh, I was I'm kind of flighty, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, I've, I've published, I've unpublished, I've been serious, I've been not been serious, and it's just you know I'm trying to find a a way forward to uh, uh, become a a consistent author, not just a consistent writer. I write consistently. It's just that I I go hot and cold on whether or not I'm really interested in this author business kind of thing. So in a lot, in, in that sense, I still consider myself to be a new author, uh, even though I've been writing for a while. 
I, I like to hear that um, that I'm not the only person who sometimes wonders if they're going to be serious or not about it. Mm-hmm. Like there are days when I'm into it, into the story, last couple of days into the story, love writing the story. And there are days when I'm like, yeah, I have a real job and it pays me well to do something I really love. I don't know if I necessarily need to care that much about this. So. Right. Right. And that's the thing. You know, I've got a retirement and, you know, so yeah, I don't necessarily need the income. Income's always nice. Obviously everybody wants more income, but uh yeah, it's the focus. You know, plus I'm married, and you know, once you retire and you're married, there's always a big list of things to do. Sure, so, sure. <laughs> what uh, what kind of books? Like, what genres are you writing? Is it more than well, one? Well, that's and that's part of my issue is that I have written every, I think every genre, major genre except erotica. Okay. Uh, well, there's you know, you're still young. You can do that. that that's true. <laughs> I, I, basically, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Even, oh, though nice. I'm, even though I'm 63. So, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've written all the way, you know, from uh, humorous sci fi, where the main character is a sentient refrigerator, to okay. a <laughs> to, to, to hard boiled noir crime fiction, to really my, I, I've tried, dabbled a little bit in romance, and, and you know, romance kind of works its way into all my fiction. But uh, probably my real sweet spot, and it, it makes sense that it's what I read constantly growing up is kind of straight on mystery, uh, not cozy ish, but a little bit edgy. I'm saying I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into the uh, blood and gore kind of stuff so much right. that you kind of find a lot of modern mysteries, but uh, I, I just, uh, that kind of suspenseful mystery where even if you do know who the killer is, and even if that's revealed up front, which is one kind of mystery that you can write, there's still a suspense about uh, how are people going to, uh, who are trying to investigate this crime, how are they going to find out who did it? And are they going to be able to find out who did it before they strike again? So yeah, I've been, I've been big into true crime over the last couple of years, but only the ones where you actually have, it's a solved mystery. And all, and my favorite part of it is not the blood and the gore. And it's, it's the, the procedure of how the people that solved it actually did the solving. There's a, a right. show called um, what's the show called on the, the, with the cameras, see no evil. And it, oh, it yeah. talks about how they use video cameras to solve the crimes. And I love watching right. that because of the procedure that they right. use. Um, did you see knives out? Do you have any opinion on? Oh, knives I out? love knives. Yeah. Me too. I've, I've watched yeah. knives out. I bought it. I probably watched it about, 20 some times at right. least. and i'm anxiously awaiting the sequel me too um yeah. did you now w- would that be considered close to to the kind of genre that you like to write yeah. or is that yeah because that's not quite cozy but it's also no. not blood and gore on those no movies. and it's also if you're paying close enough attention it's also kind of humorous yes absolutely yeah yeah and that's kind of what i like it's kind of that i don't know the, the author carl hyacin uh if you've ever heard of him he writes, uh, he started publishing, he's a journalist, he started publishing, I think back in the early 80s, uh, these novels, which are, I guess, loosely mystery crime novels, although the, the crime is committed right up front, mm-hmm. but they're totally hilarious because they're based on, he's from Miami, they're based on the, the, uh, the seat of Florida Man. And the whole the whole <laughs> book is is populated with Florida characters, and this oh, wow. was before Florida Man be, was was a thing, you know. Yeah. In fact, he may have even invented the term. Who knows? But uh, yeah, all kinds of, of, of strange things happen, and people out acting in outrageous ways, and that's kind of the way I think. You know, I think outrageously. I like to try to get that down on paper. Yeah, I can see where the humor, like whenever I write, I always want to have like one or two characters that bring a little bit of humor in, but I don't want it to be there in the wrong, at the wrong time. 
Uh, right. You know, if you're in a suspenseful moment or a dark moment or whatever, you don't want to all of a sudden just have some jokey guy come in and, and just start telling jokes. So that like right. knives out, I thought was really perfect for that, the right. way that they did it. Yeah. Did, did you see the, uh, the, the Hulu series only murders in the building? No, I don't have Hulu. What's it called? Oh, okay. Only murders in the building. In the building. Oh, it's fantastic. It's with uh, Steve Martin, Selena Gomez. And ah, one other guy, I can't forget. I forget right now who was on Saturday Night Live as well, but it's a straight up whodunit. It was, oh, I love they did, they did over over ten over ten episodes, um, and they're going to be doing another season. But it's it's kind of like that. It's Selena Gomez, obviously young, you know, uh, she's probably late twenties, early thirties now. Steve Martin's in his seventies. This other guy, Martin Short, is the other. Oh, guy. I love Martin Short. Yeah, okay. Okay. they're both in their seventies, and you know, so it's, there's a the dynamic between the old and the young, but there's also just their true crime podcast aficionados, and it's. The whole series wraps around the idea that because they love these podcasts and there's a murder occurs in their building, they're going to solve it. And it goes from there. This kind of sounds like my book that I'm writing right now because I have a a character who's like a aficionado of the TV shows, the, the, the true crime TV shows and something happened in his life that turned him on to these shows. And now there was a crime at the workplace and how he's going to solve it. Wow. I've never even seen this, but maybe I'm copying off of it. That's not good. Well, I got, you know, this was extremely popular, the the show, and I got a feeling there's going to be a lot of books with that premise coming out. So I'm not sure. Maybe I'm I'm getting in the right time then. That's right. It's a new genre. Yeah, is it bloody? Because that's always my worry. I don't like bloody. Uh, not really. No, I mean they, they show some some dead dead people bodies, right, moments and stuff like that, but not really. For the most part, not. I have to check it out. I've been meaning to yeah. look into Hulu anyway, and at least get the yeah. um the like maybe a week or a month or whatever free trial. Maybe check it out right. and see if I like it. So, okay. And that's what I did. I got it. I got you know a subscription for a month and just or actually two months and just watched it and then canceled. <laughs> right. And now, <laughs> and now you can binge watch it. So right, you can do it right. all in one day. All right. So that that's rich. Um, we're going to, we're going to run through the podcast just like we normally do. Um, and we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about how somebody other than uh, me or my family member um, uh, does this writing thing. Um, I'm going to start with my stats. Um, I, I, I was going to take book three and book four of the science fiction series out of the outline uh, until I actually had some movement on them because I feel like I'm just repeating the same numbers week, you know, over and over each week to start the podcast. But I will say I do have an update on book three of the podcast that I will talk about, of, I'm sorry, of the science fiction series that I will talk about uh, later on. But just to, just to reiterate book three, it's 65% of the way done, 59,318 words. I have, uh, I've, I've outlined everything that I've written so far, which is a large percentage of the beginning and a small percentage of the end. And there's that ugly, yucky middle that needs to be uh, worked on. Um, and I, I have, like I said, written out those note cards and put them on my board. And, and now I have to kind of fill in the blanks. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a little while. Book four, I, you know, I've written the first couple chapters. I wrote them accidentally. Book one of the murder mystery is really where I'm at right now. That's where I spend all of my time. And over the past week, I'm up 2,806 words to 23,877. That is through the first seven chapters of the book. Um, and as I've said before, I'm, I'm going to call it a first draft. But honestly, by the time I'm finished with it, the way that I'm writing it, it will really just need one more uh, kind of review where I read it out loud to myself, make grammar changes, make sure I didn't mess any names up, make sure it makes sense, and then send it off to the editor. Um, I think I started calling that um, the, the, the Dean Wesley Smith writing in the dark right. I'm calling it writing into the light because i'm actually plotting it but i'm also doing the whole write it once loop back when you need to make changes like he said did you did you, did you watch him and that was in 2018 yeah yeah i well yeah, right i actually he was, wasn't he there in 2019 as well 
He was, but the, the specific talk that I watched was oh, the very oh, okay. first one in 2018 oh, okay. at Samstown. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I may have seen it because I've got a number of their, uh, of their courses and workshops that I've uh, downloaded and watched. And, you know, yeah, I, I've, I've tried that. I've done, in fact, I do that. The problem is I have a tendency to get stuck in infinite loops, infinite do loops. Oh, you nice. know? <laughs> so, because I, I tend to be a perfectionist and it's part of my ADHD. And mm-hmm. you know, I just, uh, I'm looking for that right word to go in the right spot. And that's, that's another thing that slows me down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that and that's the problem that I'll have with this is like today I had to go through and revise the chapter that I it didn't need revision. Oh, actually, the the third there's three scenes in the chapter, and chapter the third scene is what needed a revision. But for mm-hmm. some reason I started at the top, which didn't need revision based on why I was revising it. And yet I'm making revisions all the way down because the same thing you just said, the perfect word. I'll change right. a word here and there, change a, a a a verb to be a little different or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I believe me, I know what you mean. I but I've gotten to the point now where I think it was because my mom was editing my first book and that really helped me where I could keep sending her chat, the same chapter and she would keep finding issues and send it back to me. And I could keep me, it, it, it could go on forever. I just had to decide, okay, it's done. So I think I, I kind of right. accidentally learned that through working with my mom a couple of years ago. Right. Right. Um, you, okay. So you, you say that you have downloaded some of Dean Wesley Smith's and is it Christine Catherine Rush, right? Right. Correct. So what, what kind of things they offer? I saw that on Facebook a couple of days oh. ago. He posted something. Well, we, you can go to either of their websites. Uh, Dean's is probably the best one to get, a, to get into all their course offerings. But they have uh, hundreds of courses out there uh, on Teachable. Teachable, is that? Yeah, Teachable. That's yeah, teachable. where um, Brian right. Meek's stuff was. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, and they've got hundreds of courses there. We run specials on them all the time and stuff. Or, or if you are a, a, a patron to their Kickstarters, they usually have courses and stuff thrown in along with the Kickstarters that they're doing. Uh, so that's, uh, that's how I got, I think, got turned on to them. I, I saw them at 2019. I saw them talk. And then because I am on Kickstarter in terms of uh, just uh, surfing on there to find uh, artists to support, I happened to run across one of their, uh, one of their Kickstarters where they were restarting a short story magazine that they had back in the 90s called Pulp House. I remember he talked about that. Right. And uh, so I signed up for that. And then, so I keep on getting emails from them when they're having new kickstarts. They do about three or four every year for different, for different things. And uh, yeah. And that's how I kind of got segued into his courses and stuff. Okay. I'm a big Kickstarter fan. I think Kickstarter is like this great, great thing. Right. The problem with Dean and uh, it may be a problem with anybody that you have too much exposure to is that he has a lot of opinions and after a while, it starts to me, it gets a little bit abrasive and I have to back off and not look, not, not do it for a while. And then, then I go back to him because he's got a lot of good information. He's been writing for 40 years now or whatever, publishing for 40 years. Yeah. That's how I feel about most podcasts I listen to yeah. where after, you know, there's certain podcasts I love listening to. And then after a while I have to stop for, except for Paul Teagues, I would listen to his every single week religiously. So as I was really uh, disappointed when he, you know, kind of closed that up and, Stop doing it. Although I, I can understand why, you know, he felt like yeah. he was getting repetitive. But I was okay listening to that repetitiveness. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, yeah. But other ones that I've listened to, it would be like, okay, I'll listen for a while and I'll feel they're repetitive, mm-hmm. but, and then I'll stop for a while and then I'll get back into him for a while. Yeah. And I, I have to check out Dean's stuff. I was looking at it. I saw an ad come up on his Facebook page or, or a Facebook ad come up, I think yesterday day before that said, you know, one more day left in this discount. Um, oh right, so yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Uh, is it craft related? Because that's all I care about is craft. Yes, that's all. Yeah. That's almost okay. all. No, actually, I shouldn't say that's not almost all. It is 
they have it very uh, distinctly separated into the business side and the craft side. Okay. So, so he, they have courses uh, as specific as uh, how to ramp up tension through your use of setting, for example. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so there, you know, some of them are hour long, some of them are three, four hours long. So it's wow. all over the place. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll link, I'll see if I can find it. I'll link to it in the show notes. That's really okay. interesting. I really like, yeah. uh, I really like that stuff. So good. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I only have 12 chapters plotted. That's something I'm going to take care of more this week. And I'll talk about that later. Uh, Mail light, I'm assuming is a silly 857. I don't really have any kind of a, I don't do much with it. Um, in terms of my mail list, it's, I, I'm, I struggle to find reasons to email and I know you're supposed to do it like once a month or twice a month. You're supposed to do it on a, a regular cadence. And I just don't have, and nobody cares about the latest gadget that I just bought, or at least I think they don't. And right. since I decided not to do my YouTube stuff, um, I don't really have any, I feel like I need to find a reason to email people and, and that would help with my mail, mailing list. Um, which unfortunately is also keeping me from doing the, the, the story origin or the book funnel stuff. Right. Uh, which I pay for. And um, yeah. So. I've, I've got a suggestion for you on that. Yeah. Write and that it down. just occurred to me now is why not, if you want to email people more often, you can't think of things to, to email them about. Why not give them just a brief summary of your podcast? Because people would be interested in what you're working on, how much progress you're making. Because that's kind of the personal connection that readers want to make with authors. They want to see some of the struggle. They want to see what they're crafting, how they're crafting it. I think readers would be interested in a write. I guess it's a writing diary. I'm not like out there telling people right. how to write. So right. that's a good in idea. Fact, in fact, that, you know, I get emails from a lot of authors where it's not, it's not so much, they're not talking about how they write, but what they're talking about is what kind of progress are they making? You know, what do they think, uh, think about what they're doing and how the readers might react to it. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's, that's just an idea. That's interesting. That would give me a reason to email people, which, and I, I almost like the idea of getting more listeners to the podcast too. Although I never thought of readers as listeners. It was always more about writing, but yeah, that does make sense. Um, yeah. I have to look into that a little bit and try to come up with something. And you'll always know if it works now by how many people unsubscribe. Right. Exactly. Which right now I think all but about, all but about a hundred are actually the freebie seeking people anyway. So yeah, I'm sure yeah. I would get some unsubscribers there. All right. So last, my last week's goal was to finish chapter six and, and then basically finish the legit first draft of chapter seven, which I did not do. And I will get into why uh, a little bit later on, but I, I think I have a pretty good reason. And uh, I actually, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to ask you for some advice on that since you have some mystery writing experience also on kind of what, okay. how you how you plot or how you handle uh, when you're writing, especially since you said, you know, you write into the dark a little bit. I'm curious how you right. handle a few things. So, okay. um, And then, of course, the question that everybody comes to this podcast for every week, they want to know how many Perry Masons I have left on my DVR. I said last week at the end of the po- or the, during the podcast that I would have zero left. And that is not true. I have one left. Oh, it's the series finale. I cannot bring myself to watch it because then it feels like it's over over um so i don't know i'm gonna plan on watching it this week maybe even tonight but who knows if it's actually gonna happen um yeah. you're gonna have to find another series to segue into it i am i talked about doing murder she wrote next there's a there's a youtube uh youtuber that i watch her name is pushing up daisies that's her youtube channel mm-hmm. and uh she does uh, um um youtube videos every now and then on uh how this episode of murder she wrote was really really strange or weird and every time i watch one, i'm like i gotta watch this show i watched him here and there when i was a kid but not very much said i love you know i like again it's a non-bloody whodunit murder mystery that i really love so right although the death rate in cabot cove is extremely high. oh god never ever <laughs> if you never go to that city and if you're ever in a city and jessica fletcher shows up you get out that's right that's right there's a chance you, know, you could die 
another option is uh, if you want to stick with the Perry Mason ish kind of theme, is to do something like Matlock. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. I've never watched one, but I am a huge Andy Griffith fan. So obviously it could be something I do. You know what I watched yesterday? There were two Hallmark movies on. It was like the Hallmark drama and it was, they were made in 2007 and it was Dick Van Dyke, uh, Barry Van Dyke. The second one had a, had a, had his grandson, another Van Dyke in there. And I really enjoyed those. Yeah. They they were just Hallmark movies, but they were missed on the mist. They were mysteries. They were really fun Mm -hmm. to watch. So, yeah. So that is what I have going on for my stats so far. How about yourself? You got some stats for me? Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said at the top, I'm kind of a dilettante writer. So that my dilettante just basically means a, a hobby or somebody who dabbles in something, but never takes it serious enough where they could be called professional. And there's no way I could be called a professional in what I do. Uh, and like I mentioned in the notes, don't want to just confuse that with being a debutante. Right, right. Is, absolutely. You know, yeah, I don't have the legs for that anymore. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, I saw you in shorts, I think in Vegas, you saw yourself short here. Well, I do try to maintain my girlish figure, but there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so right now, uh, I guess I'd give my stats for the book I'm working on right now, which is book one in a, in a, a series of three or four that I hope to have out by the end of the year, all of them. Um, and it's going to be a mystery, straight up crime mystery. Um, the book one, I wrote the first draft in a little over six weeks, starting in January. Um, and it came out to be about 41,000 words. And then I put it on the side and let it sit for a week. And I went back and I started revising it. And as of now, it is up to what, 51,753 words. So I'm up about 25% through the revision. And I think it's because I do a lot like, I think maybe you or maybe somebody else has mentioned before on the podcast, where I write basically in dialogue first, and then I have to recycle back and get setting and subtext and you know emotional conflict. Well, not so much emotional conflict, but a lot of the bells and whistles that you know readers want to see in order to get immersed in the story. I have been accused when I've shown people my first drafts of thing of writing of writing uh, was it blank heads and white rooms or whatever uh, <laughs> okay. Dean Wesley Smith calls. You know, there's, right. there's not, nothing for the reader to latch onto. But I, I was up uh, a little over a thousand words for the week. And it's because I was, and that's kind of low for me. It's because I wasn't uh, working at it steady. I've got something else going on that I'll, I'll mention later. Uh, I also have a book two in that series that I've kind of started. I've written the first draft of the first and the last chapter. So I know how it begins. I know how it's going to end. Then I just got the messy middle that I have to worry about. And um, I don't really plot. I plot. If, if I do plot, it's, it's kind of a looping form of plotting where I, I will write into the dark to start off a story because I, I usually have a character, a setting, and some kind of an opening conflict that I want to begin with. And it may not be the conflict that carries through the story. But I start with that, I can usually get three or four chapters in, and I start to stall out and got to say, okay, where am I going to go from here? And then so I'll try to plot three or four chapters ahead, get an idea of where I'm going. I know where my end is usually, but how I want to get there and how complicated I want to make it. I usually do three or four chapters at a time because if I try to plot all the way through, and I have tried this many times, I, one, two things happens. It becomes too hard and I give up Okay. <laughs> because, I, because I don't, I guess because I don't have enough context and enough of what has actually happened in terms of details in the story to continue plotting. Or if I do make it all the way through, I'm now bored with the story. I don't want to go back and write it. Uh, 
And again, that may be part of my ADHD or whatever. Yeah, I've heard people say that the reason they don't plot is because they feel like once they sit down to then write the story, they've already know the story and they get bored with it. I didn't, I don't understand that, but, but I, 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 well, I guess I do understand it. I I just don't think that way in terms of when I write it, I have to have that plot or I can't figure it out. Right. I think it's just the way people, different people's brains work differently, obviously. And, you know, there are some people who are are fine setting up the skeleton and then they, then they put the flesh on or whatever. It's just kind of like being a modeler or whatever. Uh, And then, then at the very end, they, you know, paint the nice pinstripes on it or or whatever they're going to do. And then others of us, you know, we just have to kind of create the whole thing as we go. Start at the tail of the dinosaur and you work your way through it when you're putting modeling it in clay or whatever. So, so anyways, that's kind of what, what holds me up on some of this. Uh, in terms of other stats, uh, I did have a mailing list pre-COVID for some of the uh, other pen names that I had. Uh, one of them was 2K. Another one was about 1K. Uh, in terms of the number of subscribers. And then somewhere in the beginning of COVID in that first six, eight months, I decided I was going to nuke everything. And okay. I, just, I, just, I just erased them all, <laughs> changed the, uh, change the, uh, the, my, my mail provider and went to MailerLite. And now I'm going to get that back up and going once I get this first book off, off my computer and into the world. Uh, of this series and then so i have so many questions for you sure um are you let's start with the mailing list are you someone who does email on a regular cadence when you're when you're kind of in there doing it i can yes and we when i when i had those mailing lists i was mailing them once a week and i was doing wow yeah i was doing a combination of things i was uh updating on where i was and what i was writing i was also giving book recommendations because i'm a voracious reader um typically well, up until this year, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, up until this year, I would read somewhere between 100 and 200 books a year. Easy. Wow. Uh, so I would always have something I was reading. It was usually, and I usually read, I'll read a mystery, then I'll read uh, sci-fi, then I'll read a romance, and I'll just kind of cycle around. So I always had something for somebody to talk about uh, that, that they would be interested in perhaps reading. So I always had something something to put in an email. Um, there's always something interesting going on in my life because I tend to surround myself with chaos for some okay. reason. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I never had problems with that. Now, maybe once a week is a little bit too much. I know Paul Teague, I think, was doing it once a week. And there's a number, I, I'm on a number of lists where people do it once. Uh, Steve Higgs, in fact, Steve Higgs does it probably more than once a week. Um, yeah. As many books Steve. as he puts out. Um, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. 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 We met him in Sky. I met him in Scotland also. Okay. Sitting, around, okay. sitting around that. Do you remember sitting around that big table in that bar, like on a Saturday night? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's yep. where I, I had a lot of conversations with him. And then I saw him in Vegas um, in 2021. He walked by and looked down at me. And I'm pretty sure he recognized my face, but didn't know who I was. Then he looked down at my right. badge and I looked up and went, Hey, I wanted to talk to you. Cause when I talked yeah. to him, he was like at that time trying to decide whether he wanted to quit his job and actually go full time. And he right. did it after that, and then he just took off. Right, right. I mean, he's in a way he's my hero, uh, <laughs> in one sense, just in the fact that he's been able to stick to it. Yeah, and and and, and stick to doing one thing, and you know that's all he does is he writes. And you know, in, in addition to you know taking care of his family and being sure. with them, but he doesn't have fifteen thousand other hobbies like I do. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that army training, that focus and discipline that he has, <laughs> definitely yes. <laughs> 
All right. So you said um, that you wrote the first and the last chapter of book two. Is that how you normally write a book? You start first and last, so you know how it starts and how it ends? That's the way I like to write. Because if I have an opening uh, chapter that's usually about a conflict between characters, uh, which may not be the main incident that carries through the book, like the main crime or whatever, it may just be a personal interaction. That, but the last chapter of most books is, is the denouement. So uh, that's where you kind of wrap up whatever kind of emotional thing is going on between the people. So that kind of bookends it. But that leaves a heck of a lot of stuff yeah. in between that you have to worry about. Now, the fun thing about writing mysteries in a lot of ways is it's kind of formulaic. So you can, you can uh, section up your, your chapters and section up your book uh, into chunks where you know certain things have to happen. And I, I downloaded that Udemy course that you've been mm -hmm. talking about on the podcast. And I kind of briefly went through it really quick. And that's kind of what, what he does. You know, he's saying, okay, he does it very granularly because he's saying chapter one, you have this, chapter two, you have this. But he's essentially going through the, uh, the 12 steps or whatever of a murder mystery and just saying, that, you know, do them in this order and you'll be in, in good shape because it's kind of the way readers expect it. Yeah. So, one, one of the things I want to do, and I, I know in his question answer section, he actually said somebody asked, hey, what books have been published using this method? And he gave some answers. I want to go, I haven't done this yet, but I want to go find one of those books and read it and just see, is it kind of in line with what I'm writing through the first six or seven chapters so far? Right. Um, and just see how it goes. Um, do you, uh, word count, so you have approximately 51,753 now and you're on your second right. revision. Do you have a, a word, a target that you look for in terms of the books you write in this, in this genre? I try, I try to go for about, I want to get the book when it's published in paperback form to be at least 250 pages. Anything shorter than that and you start getting into problems, I, I think, with pricing and where, you know, you're, are you going to think of it as a novella? Are you going to think of it as a novel? Uh, so I, I usually shoot for somewhere between 60 and 80,000 on the novels I write. Now, admittedly, I've only written total in all the, the since 2015, seven novels. So, yeah, I'm still kind of finding where, what my sweet spot is. I think mm -hmm. it's probably right in the 65, 70 range. So that's kind of what I think I'm targeting normally. Okay. Do you think like if I hit 100,000 with this, do you think that's too many words for this genre? Or does it matter? No. It doesn't, I don't think the, the work count actually, I don't think matters on the long end, as long as it's engaging and pulls people through. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've, there, I've got one on my shelf here by, uh, let's see, Liz Moore. It's called Long Bright River. And it's kind of a literary murder mystery, oh. but it, you know, it clocks in at over 500 pages, oh, right wow. around 500 pages. So I'm not sure what that's good. That's probably going to turn out to be that's 125 what? at least. Yeah, somewhere in that in that range. And it, it pulled me right through. I never had the urge to put it down. So good. You can do it. You can do it. It's I'm just, glad to hear uh, that. <laughs> yeah, as long as the story. I think I think the real problem is never on the long end. The real problem that you is on the short end. Because if people pick up a book and it's too quick and they paid $5.99 for it or whatever, they're gonna think they get they they got the chip. And you know, just like uh fantasy writers, if they write a book that's under a hundred thousand words. Yeah. People, you know, feel like they've been robbed of something in the story. They may not know what. They may have really enjoyed the story, but they're thinking in their head, "Well, if it's this short, what did I miss?" You know. Right. Gotcha. Okay. All the side quests. <laughs> right. Exactly. That yeah. Yeah, every fantasy book has. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So you have more stats. Keep going. I interrupted. Yeah, I think uh, other other than that, uh, on the, the mailing list thing, when I do restart it, uh, the first 
the first time I had my mailing lists, I did do book giveaways and stuff like, and, and things like that in order to get mail signups. I may still do some, but since I'm not really thinking of this as a business per se, at least not in the 20 books sense, right. um, I'm, I'm going to concentrate more on organic signups to the extent that I can, not realizing that that's going to be a long, slow yeah. process. And if, if I can keep on a schedule of getting three or four books out a year, uh, it may be possible in a couple of years where I would feel okay about throwing a book out for free just to pull people in and then just have to ruthlessly call when you don't see any activity right. out of certain subscribers. And then that my last like so much work. It is a lot of work. And that's, and that's yeah. the thing I don't know if I want to do <laughs> when I have so many other interests I'm, right. I'm involved in. And then my last thing, my last stat is that my number of fountain pen inks is up to 28 different kinds of ink. I am a fountain pen fanatic. In fact, I write all my first drafts longhand with fountain Really? Pens. Yes. So that's wow. another thing. That's another thing that kind of slows my process down a little bit because not so much the writing in longhand because I can write fast, but is you then have to transcribe it and get it into the computer. Right. Um, wow. And that's uh, but it's so much fun, Jerry. When you when you've got these high quality, even a even a twenty five or thirty dollar pen, which you know this one is this one here is I'm showing it's a Lamy you probably can't see it very well, but uh, it's, it's about a thirty dollar pen, and that's that's really really cheap for a fountain pen. But the ink flows on the page; you don't have to actually push. <laughs> and these inks are amazing because they have different amounts of sheen and pooling of the ink, and it, it's it's all you know it's 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 an addiction. Is what it what is. do you write them on or in? I use uh, a high, you have to have high quality paper. Yeah, sounds uh, like you would have to. That's what's going to bleed through on you. It's going to bleed on the page and it's going to go through the page as well. So there's there's a number of different high quality papers. I uh, used Electrum uh, notebooks. I don't know if you've ever seen those in the bookstores, they're all over the place. They're, they're out of Germany. They've got like 90 GM, GSM weight paper. Okay. So it's very thick. A uh, little bit shiny so that the ink doesn't soak in. It kind of pools on it, which, as far as I'm concerned, is even better because then the pigment in the ink separates out and you get gradations in the color, you know, across the Yeah, I feel like if you're things. using cheap paper, you're defeating the purpose of using the fancy pen in the first place. You are. You yeah. are. Yeah. But there, yeah, there's a number of different papers. And, there, and, and there's, if you, if anybody's interested in, you'll just go to YouTube and look up fountain pens and you'll find a gazillion different channels that talk about fountain pens oh, wow. and about okay. the inks and about the papers. It's a real, it's a real addiction for people. I'm not exactly at the addicted stage yet. Right. Or, or maybe I am, but Sounds uh, like you could be. <laughs> I'm getting close. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. All right. So let me talk about uh, my recap from last week and then we'll hear about yours. I'm really curious. Again, this is something I love to hear from people who I don't talk to on a daily basis or a weekly basis. I love to hear how other people, you know, what, when do they write? How do they, how do they do? Cause as I've talked about for the last couple of months, finding a routine for me has been the hardest thing in the world. And I'm always curious, do you have a routine, how it goes? So yeah, I, I look forward to hearing that from you. Uh, my routine though, went well this week. It was almost to what I talked about having as a routine. I did make a quick change just because I had to make a change on a couple of days, but I still did write as many times as I said I wanted to and, and got my words in and, and uh, ran into a couple of issues that I'll talk about here. So Monday, uh, my, I work from home all week. Like I normally do. Monday was a really, really tough day at work. Um, we, I, I'm, I'm working on a program at my real job and I thought it was going to be done last week and we put it into our test environment and there was a problem and it was a problem I had never encountered before. And I had no idea mm. how to fix it. 
basically Monday I was on teams in meetings from 745 to 445 with the exception of lunch where I, and I was with different people, you know, I was with a couple of people of our programmers, then another one of our programmers, then our, one of our, uh, we have a standup meeting at 1130 every day. And then I was with, uh, our, um, our, uh, our web, uh, not our, web, our server guy, um, our, our infrastructure guy. He's actually the one who ended up telling me how to fix it, which is strange to have the infrastructure guy giving the coding guy advice on coding, but his advice worked beautifully and we were able to get it fixed, which was a giant weight lift off my shoulders. Um, I did not sleep that well the previous night because I was worried about it. And um, it's, it's, that was really hard. Um, and then as I talked about before, Monday is kind of like my day off of writing. It's, it, you know, I did not do anything that night. Um, I don't even remember what I did that night, um, but, but I did not write that day. On Tuesday, I was super busy again, because now that the program worked, we had to go in and secure it. It's the first program I've really, really ever really written that, that was now accessible to the outside world. You know, my previous job, everything was internal to the internal customers. There's no worry about security. Mm -hmm. um, this one is actually outward facing and I have to make sure that it's secure so that people can't just hackers or anybody can't just start sending commands and, and messing up our databases. So that was a big thing that I had to do for probably about five, six hours on Tuesday, but we got all that working. Uh, again, I was in teams from 845 to 345. Um, but by the time the problem was over, by the time I, my day was over on Tuesday, everything was done and it was ready for testing. And now, like I said, this giant weight was off my shoulders. Um, it felt great. I gotta be honest with you. It felt so great. are these programs like web apps? Yeah, they're all, yeah, this is okay. a web app, you know, that we have in my, in the current job I'm in now, the new job that I've been there for about six months now, we actually have outward facing apps that the customers can go in and do ah. things on. And, um, I was replacing a, an older version of it. One that's a lot slower. I was writing a much faster version of it. And I had never written anything that was outwardly facing before. So some of the linkage that I did, didn't work. There's this thing in computer programming called a cores error that Google uh, Chrome introduced about Five, I don't know, six or seven years ago, as far as I know, that really, really made my life hell for about <laughs> five or six years. But um, over the past couple of weeks, I've learned a lot about it and how to get around it and, and how to program it correctly. And uh, yeah, so, um, and then, so that night I was able to go to Hothead and write and start on, I, I, was, was, I, yeah, I was editing chapter six at the time. Um, I added 746 words to my legit first draft, which like you said earlier, it was all dialogue. I think the, the all dialogue basically helps me get the whole plot down where I have the two people or the three people talking about what's going on. And then I have to go back and I have to add, okay, she said something she didn't like, she frowned or, you know, obviously right. more than that, but that kind right. of thing that really, and, and in doing that, I think I doubled the word count or, or maybe almost doubled the word count. It's amazing how that works. Um, well, I think, I think getting the dialogue down is really important in terms of the plot because you know, character, Plot is really just characters interacting with each other. Right. So you, you get that part down and then you've got the main, the, the story really. And then you just put the window dressing on. So. And that's, and that's what I did that night. Um, like I said, I doubled it. And, and at the time on that, and I, I wrote in my notes, cause I, I usually update this every night. So I don't forget what I did that day. So in the notes I wrote, it's probably not done. It needs another look. Well, on Wednesday, um, I went back to the local in my little town sub place to sit for, for my hour lunch. Um, I only added 88 words in that hour, but I finished the chapter. So it was pretty close to done Tuesday night. I ran through it a couple of times on Wednesday and got it to the, the, it was finished. I also, in doing this, did that whole looping thing that you and I have talked about. And I've talked about mm -hmm. in the past where I went back to chapter one, made a slight change. And then I went back to chapter five and I made a slight change. 
Um, I want you to keep in mind how much time I spent on chapter six so that when I get to Saturday, you can laugh at me. Um, <laughs> on Thursday, I started a, a meeting that went until about 12.15. So I started a little bit late, but I did, man, and I had a one o'clock meeting and I said to the person who scheduled the one o'clock, hey, do you mind if we start at 1.15? She said, no problem. So I still got my hour lunch, which was great. I started chapter seven now. And at the end of the hour, I looked down and I looked at my word count for chapter seven and it said 666. And I typed 666 into my Google document and went, Ooh, I got to change that. So I added <laughs> one more word and I made it 667. And again, mostly dialogue first time through going to be mostly dialogue. Um, what I say here. And after I go, like, I, just like we talked about after I get the dialogue done, I will go back and do my whole writing into the light. I hope Dean Wesley Smith doesn't mind that I'm going to use that from now on. Cause I really love taking his writing into the dark and saying, well, I plot, but I'm still doing a lot of what he does. So, um, and that night I realized that, that the, um, the weather was going to stink on Friday up here. It was not going to be good golf weather. Um, so I went to hothead that night and decided instead of going Friday night, I'm going to go Thursday night. There was also the potential of a poker game with my friends that didn't happen. So I thought, well, I'll go Thursday night, get words down that way. If I don't go Friday night, for whatever reason, at least I got that extra night in, I got that writing night in, um, I only added 417 words, made it 1,074. It got super noisy in there. Um, there were uh, just a few of the things that happened to me while I was in there or happened while I was in there. And I've always said, I love going to restaurants to write because I can get action going on around me, but none of that action is actually happening to me. And I love the noise, but mm -hmm. I don't like bad noise. I hope this makes sense. For example, I'm sitting there at one point and uh, a, a girl and guy walk in and sit down about three tables over from me. She proceeds to get on her cell phone, which I don't care about that. It's when she started holding her cell phone out in front of her face. She wasn't on speakerphone, but she was holding out in front of her face kind of like this. And she was just reading texts that she was sending back and forth with somebody else, recalling an <laughs> argument that she was having with this person. And I'm not exaggerating when I say it went for about 15 minutes and she had a, a voice that was really low and very loud. And I could oh. not I couldn't tone it, uh, tune it out. I, it was in my head. I heard every word of this argument she was having just about the time that she was done. Another guy walked in on speakerphone and I hate that. I think cell phones should be banished when people do that. Um, and I finally was just like, I'm not going to get any more done than I've already gotten done. It's just too noisy in here. I'm distracted. So I ended up getting about 417 words done up to 1074, uh, which is fine. I got that night of writing in and, and that makes me really happy. So um, Friday, I woke up to a snowstorm. Uh, we had ice and snow overnight. And then, you know, they said, oh, it's going to taper off by 10 a.m. It didn't the entire day. It just snowed all day. Um, didn't get, we got like an inch of, of snow. It wasn't anything bad. It's just a lot of, it was cold. You know, I didn't want to deal with ice that might be on the roads. Right. So um, I did not go anywhere. But I will say, uh, a buddy of mine that I golf with over the weekends in the summer is down in Myrtle Beach. He's retired. Uh, he went down with his wife for two months and he's basically golfing four to five times a week. And I, I was talking to him on Friday afternoon and he had said, Hey, you gotta take a Friday off and come down and golf with me for a couple of days. And I thought, yeah, that's a really good idea. So the idea started popping up in my head now about a Myrtle Beach trip uh, later in March. And that is something I'm probably going to do. And that's going to impact something else that we're going to talk about. The, the azaleas on the course will be beautiful at that time of year. Um, and I'll probably, I, I assume they're in, they're in the rough, right? Because that's probably, I'll probably see a lot yeah, of them. Then. Yeah, exactly. Oh, perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> you'll probably be, be, be behind them in the pine trees. You'll have to hit through them in order to get out. And, <laughs> so. and I'll think, wow, Rich said they were beautiful. And he was right. <laughs> Every hole, they're beautiful. Um, so, uh, and then Saturday, um, 
I went to Chick-fil-A. It's my favorite writing time of the week is that Saturday morning. Uh, I was all ready to continue working on chapter seven. I looked ahead to the plot that I wrote for chapter eight and just to make sure I understood how chapter seven needed to end. And I saw a sentence at the very end that said, make the audience think Rich is the killer. Now, when I say Rich, I don't mean you. Um, okay. I have a character in my book named Rich. And I actually wrote, make the audience, and this comes straight from that Udemy video. He said, make this character, make the audience think this person is the killer, whoever this person is. And then I realized I had written a lot of chapters where it was really, really obvious that Rich wasn't the killer. And I thought, well, that's not good for me. Um, so I had to go back and work on, make changes to chapter one. I had to make changes to chapter three. Chapter six was the big one, the one I had spent a couple of days writing because basically in that chapter, the murderer is talking to someone else. And without giving away who the murderer is in, in that chapter, I reference Rich, this, this character Rich, many, many times making it obvious that the murderer is talking about Rich, which means the murderer isn't Rich. And that's not good. I, I, according to what this Udemy video said, the, the, I, you know, that one I'm following, I need to make it appear that Rich is the killer. I need to make the readers think that. So... I went through yesterday, I started working yesterday to uh, re basically rewrite that whole chapter. Um, I did go back into chapter seven and add some words to it. That one went up to 1574. It looks like for the day I added about, I don't know, about 900 words, 800 words to the book in doing that, but it was mostly just revising a whole bunch of stuff. And then I went into chapter seven just to get some words down for chapter seven. Um, I'll get into the next thing in a second. So let's, and then I went on, I went to a golf simulator. I have a golf simulator that I like to go to every couple of weeks, uh, because it's really, really cold out. And my golf simulator is open. There's no fourth wall on it and it's mm -hmm. really cold out. I don't want to be in there when it's 20 degrees. If it's 40 degrees, I don't care, but if it's 20 degrees, I don't really feel like dealing with the wind and the cold. So, um, today, oh, go ahead. I was going to ask you a question about the, yeah. the way in which you frame the actual antagonists in your stories. Yes. I'm thinking here that the two main ways most mur murder mysteries work it is they either introduce a character early who seems so secondary and kind of out of the main part of the action that as a reader, you kind of dismiss them and you don't really consider them to be a viable suspect. And the other kind of way they tend to frame it is that this guy, this person is so obviously the murderer that it can't be him. You know? So how, how do you... Do you go either of those two ways normally so, or do you try to put something in the middle? So this is the first time I've written a murder mystery. Okay. And that was a big struggle for me when I first started. In fact, chapter one, I wrote and then completely trashed and rewrote. Um, the big problem I was having is how do I make the murderer so hidden that, that I, later on I can introduce characters and you don't know if that's them or not. So like my big thing was, how do I do this without pronouns? How do I write from the murderer's POV without pronouns? It's the hardest thing in the world to do. So I gave the murderer a uh, nickname. I gave, I gave, I'll just say him or her, even though it's a him. I gave him a, a nickname based on a tattoo that he has that only a couple people know about, including right. the first victim. So the victim addresses him that way in chapter one. And he says, Oh, I've told you many times never to tell, you know, never to call me that, but I don't give away the gender or sex of the, 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 the murder. Okay. And I use the nickname throughout the book now, and eventually it'll come out, but I use the nickname when I, when I'm talking about again, him or her, I have two or three characters in the first couple chapters that I'm trying to give motives and opportunity to. So the reader can be like, wait, is it that character? And a couple of those I'm trying to make really obvious because eventually they won't be the murderer, but I don't want it to be like, 
overbearingly obvious but like when my when one character says to another hey do you know where rose is and they're like oh i think she's out on the floor and then the next chapter is on the floor from the murderer's pov i, I want that to be in the reader the reader's mind hey maybe that is the the murderer but are you i will oh good are you writing first person or third person or what i'm writing third person third person limited so whoever is the narrator for that chapter, you can kind of see in their head a little bit. But okay. I just I just switched it around a few times. It's going to be you know seventy five percent is going to be my main character, my my um my protagonist. But I do flip to the murderer's POV a couple times. Okay. Yeah. And um, I but what you said earlier, the in chapter five, there's a conversation in a in a lunchroom between my main character and three of the employees at the plant where the murder takes place. One of those employees is the murderer. But I just try to keep it so subtle that no one will, just, they'll just think, oh, this is just three side characters. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah that's, um, so again, I'm trying to figure this out as I go because I've never written yeah. this before. And I love these. I love watching these. Perot, I love right. Perot. It's my favorite character of all time. Um, yeah. And I want to do something like that. So, right. And, you know, I, I'm thinking back to some of the, my most favorite murder mysteries and some of the ones I've read recently. The, the murderer has always been that, that, that subtle behind the scenes secondary character who may show up in the first couple of chapters and get sprinkled in throughout, but doesn't really emerge to the, you know, the last few chapters. And, and to me, that, at least for the way I like to read murder mysteries, that's the most enjoyable because then you, you, the, your cast of potential uh, suspects is so large when you know right up front that this is probably what the author is doing just because he's not making it obvious. Do you try to sprinkle in like subtle, very subtle clues throughout the book so that when the murder is finally revealed, the, the reader can be like, oh, I remember that, you know, or that makes sense? Yeah, I, well, I think you have to, but it doesn't necessarily have to be throughout the entire book. Like I just finished reading one by Ellie Griffiths uh, and I blank on the title at the moment, but uh, it was the murderer turned out to be the son. Well, I don't know how much I want to give away, but the... Uh, she mentioned the character in the early part of the book, and he was one of the ones who found the bodies, the initial bodies. These, these deaths had occurred 70 years old, 70 years ago, so they weren't the ones that, that really drove the story. It was kind of the inciting incident. But because he was one of the people that discovered these bodies, it turned him into a murderer because he knew who had murdered these people 70 years oh. ago, and he was trying to protect them. But the fact that he was always showing up at the murder site of people never really caught on in my head because he was, he was an EMT in a, in a small, uh, what was this, uh, English town, or English area, Norfolk, coastal town. So, uh, you know, that's, that was an interesting way, I thought, of getting a person, making it really obvious that this person's probably could Made be the sense murderer. for him to be there. Made sense for him to be there. Yeah. They could be the murderer, but you completely overlook them because you've got this preconceived notion of what an ENT does and how what kind of people they are. You know, so that's interesting. I, I like the yeah. idea. I'm going to write down preconceived notion um, because that could be a really good way to hide the murder later on. That's interesting. I like that. For right? Us. Yeah. You don't you don't typically think of uh, let's say childcare workers as right. murderers or even doctors and nurses, even though it's kind of a popular TV trope. But right. uh, yeah, that, that's, whereas, you know, the, the evil businessman who, you know, steals from the orphanage, you know, that's just too obvious. And that's the one you make obvious. Yeah, that's the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. So before I get into my non-book stuff that happened on Saturday, let me just say that Sunday, uh, this morning, I went back to Panera. 
uh, I made a little change. This is what I was talking about earlier, where I, I went into chapter five because I had to make a change to scene three uh, to go along with this thing that happened where I have to try to make this guy uh, hidden um, or, or make this make the reader think that this guy is the murderer, even though he's not. And I ended up making changes to the entire chapter, even though that was really only the, the last scene. Uh, added 127 words to that. And then I decided to go ahead and go through chapter six. Um, I, I kind of reworked the idea behind it. I didn't rewrite the whole thing, but I reworked a lot of it. Ended up going down 111 words. Um, and then after that, I, I added a few more words to chapter seven before I left for the day. And that one's now up to 1631. That one's not going to be as big as chapter five, which ended up being 7,600 words and I was done. And it will be probably split in half or split a little bit later on uh, when I do that final revision. But it is this is probably going to be end up being maybe three, four or 5,000 words by the time I'm done with it. So it, there's a lot of bulk to it, according to that Udemy video, the things that have to go into this chapter. Or I say that have to go into this chapter, meaning in this first draft, I'm going to cut this thing up when I'm done so that the chapters make more sense with cliffhangers and, and things like that. So, right. Yeah. And, you know, chapter length is really a function of how you want to pace the reader. Right. So even, even though I think in that Udemy video, he's talking about what, 31 chapters, I think. Yeah. 31. 31 chapters. You know, you could easily make that 60 if you're writing long in each chapter. Just yeah, exactly. Yeah. As long as um, you transition in between. Have you ever, have you ever tried, but and this is kind of off topic. I didn't have this on here, but I thought about this yesterday. Have you ever tried writing the, um, what's the word where you're just writing one, like one a week? A, is it a serial? Have you ever tried to do that? I thought about doing that. Uh, no, not in that context. I have written short stories that are on a continuing theme, uh, which is kind of like a serial, but not really. Um, that, that sentient refrigerator science fiction. Okay, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that means a uh, 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 group of, of stories that oh, I wrote. Oh, those, right. right? Yeah, those those were all short stories uh, that I, I wrote basically one a week for I think uh, I think there's seven in that series, uh, and you know they did they did link back or, or in between the two, but they could be read as standalones as well. Uh, okay, but no, I've never tried a, a full out serial. Se uh, uh, that was something that was that was that's popular or has been popular in the past. Uh, like, you know, a lot of people made their name uh, doing the, that kind of thing. Well, and I think, um, didn't Amazon just create a new thing for people to put their cereals on? I forget what it was called. Vela. Vela. Vela, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, you know, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to out Wattpad, Wattpad, basically. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, these Wattpads, basically. And I used to write for Wattpad a little bit when I was first starting off. When I was first starting off, I just wanted to write. And I wasn't really serious about doing anything. You know, you throw stuff up there. Um, yeah, I don't know. As a business strategy, I don't know how viable that is, but it is an interesting way to write because you don't feel really much pressure when you know you have to write a couple thousand words a week. Right. That's that's not much to do. That's what I'm wondering if I could take a mystery, a murder mystery, and almost make it like a an eight episode arc that where I put something out every two weeks. It wouldn't, you know, people I've seen people do that with, I think what's his name uh, from six figure podcast, Joe Lala was doing that on his Patreon. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think I would want to do it on Patreon, but it would be interesting to do something like that. Um, and just try to see, you know, could you get the same X amount of people to download it every week? Or could you find somebody who, who, when you did it episode eight, all of a sudden now they're going to start at one and go all the way to eight. I'd, I'd be really almost like, like we talked about earlier, binging a TV show. Right. Could you get people to binge your books? I wonder if that would be, right. if they're short, I want it to be interesting. So I think, I think that the reading, well, certainly the viewing public and maybe the reading public as well is, is going towards the binging mode. Uh, and there lot, lot fewer people are willing to wait a week. And, you know, that murders, only murders in the building 
only murder in the building that I talked about with Steve Martin. Uh, that was dropped every week on a Thursday. And it drove me nuts waiting for the next episode to come out. Yeah. <laughs> I kept that's going, how, is, it, is it a Thursday yet? <laughs> that's how Disney does the Star Wars ones. And I love it. Right. I love the Mandalorian and the Boba Fett. And even when they were right. doing clones, Clone Wars, they were once a week. And I absolutely love that because I felt like I could watch the episode. And then for the next couple of days, I could watch YouTube people talk about that episode and not be spoiled. I loved yeah. it that way. Um, right. Well, not only that, but you get on, you know, there's always a chat room that springs up yeah. around these uh, Twitter feed. And you can get in there and you know uh, talk back and forth about what who you think the next what the next episode is going to entail, right? And, you know, who's the real murderer and you know what are the clues? And so yeah, yeah that's, that was kind of fun. I may do something like that in the future, and I'm talking in the next like four, five, six years, or maybe next year. Who knows? Yeah. I never know what I'm going to do. But I'm that's something I might find interesting. Maybe if that Vela were to take off, or if I could find a, a better way to release it. Um, and then what you do is you just take all eight of them and you put it, if you do eight, you take all eight, you put them together and you just make it a, uh, like a box set and you sell it for whatever. Not, you know, if, I want to, I want to hit at some point the Paul Teague model of having 12 books that I can make 99 cents and try to get a bunch of page reads. That's kind of what I'm shooting right. for. That might be another way to do it. So, all right. All right See, so I have, okay. That's the other thing you mentioned the page reads. Uh, last time around, I was Amazon exclusive um, for most of the stuff that I had out there. But this time around, I've decided from now on going forward, I'm just going to go wide, um, mainly because I don't know what kind of market there is for, for straight up mysteries within KDP. My sense is that you might get a much better, um, reach a much bigger audience if you are wide on all the different platforms in all the different countries. I don't have any data to back that up, obviously, but there are some things I know or that are known to work really well on KDP, like romance. Uh, romance. <laughs> Everybody uh, romance. I think cozy mystery as well, because those are generally short books that people churn through really quickly. Um, but some of these other, you know, bigger books or books that are more in depth in terms of, of reading uh, level, I guess is a good way to put it. Grade level, if you want to put it that way. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna experiment with why but that's that's something we'll we'll see what happens i'll be really interested in hearing how it goes for you honestly i, I know you started wide yeah i started moved. wide and then it, it was fine i mean i sold some books but um you know it, it tailed off really quick to where i was getting nothing and right. then i remember having a conversation well paul paul was big he was one of the ones pushing me to go ku and then i remember having a, com a conversation with um with um um but I always forget names, Alex Rogers. I don't know if you know that name um, yeah. in, in at 20 books, 2018, I think it was, oh no, it was 2019. It was when, so I credit you for making me extroverted, right? Because okay. <laughs> people said to me before I went, you have to be an extrovert. Well, being able to like, just go up to a group of people and start talking to them is not my thing. But like, I remember meeting you after my, my, my I had a time travel um, meetup after that you were in a bar. I remember Caro was there and there were some other people there and I came down and sat with you and started chatting. And then we moved it over to um, Applebee's or whatever was at Sam's, whatever that restaurant mm -hmm. was at Sam's sound, right. we moved it over to there. And um, I remember when I was with them and then I did the zip line the next day with a lot of the same people and Alex was there. And, um, and I just, I, I forget names. I'm horrible at this. I got to remember names. Both of them, both of these two basically said, Hey, just go Kindle Unlimited. This is what you should be doing with the genre that you're writing. Um, and I went, okay. So I went to Kindle Unlimited and I started getting page reads and it was almost like the, um, what is it? The, the, the shot of, what is it? When the, the, 
something you, your brain goes, yeah, that was really good. Give me oh, more. Give dopamine. Me. Yes. The dopamine yeah. hits of seeing page reads every day yeah. and seeing that. And, and I've been KU ever since. Um, I, I don't know if I would go back to being wide. I do love the, the thing about wide that I really love is I love the, um, the advertising opportunities that you have when you're wide that you don't have when you're KU. That's probably the one thing that would get me to go wide, but I don't know. I really would love to hear how things go for you going wide like that. Well, it's really, you know, you, you hear the stat constantly uh, broadcast that Amazon's 80% of the market. Well, Amazon's 80% of the mar- market in the U.S., but the U.S. is not the entire English-speaking market. You know, and I don't even, I'm not, I don't know even what fraction. It's probably half, maybe. Uh, maybe not even that. So, and then we start talking about uh, foreign rights and, and things like that. You definitely want to, I, I, I would think that if you're thinking about doing it seriously long-term, that at some point you'd want to go wide. Now, maybe it's a good idea and some people use a strategy to start off Amazon exclusive, build a following, build a name for themselves, and then move out. When they get to the point where they're going to be doing translations and moving into other markets. So, yeah. But, you know, that's the part of the, a part of all this that of the author business that makes my skin crawl because I really, <laughs> I really don't want to think about that kind of stuff. I don't want right. to think about it too hard. Yeah, I spent 30 years, almost 35 years as an economist. And I'm just, that was, that was it. You know, I don't want to think about business anymore. <laughs> so, I want to have fun. I guess that's right. what it boils down to. And that, that kind of stuff, when you're starting to look at numbers all the time and trying to track trends and do marketing, that can quickly become not fun if you're not careful. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've said about a billion times in this podcast is the minute it feels like a job, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. Um, and it was Mary Merriweather was the other person who I was sitting oh, with yeah. Yeah. Um, at that restaurant. So, all right. So I have a question for you. Well, let me get into sure. my, let me get into my, my sci-fi book news first, then I'll get it. Then I'll ask you my question and you can go into your week from there. So okay. um, in terms of my sci-fi book, the extra news that I had was I was sitting there yesterday at Chick-fil-A thinking, I don't know how it popped into my head, but um, my handwriting is God awful. And that's probably why I couldn't do anything that you're doing where I write it longhand first. I could never, I, I couldn't go back and read it. So, um, <laughs> I, so, but I write out my note cards and I hang them on my, my bulletin board, this giant bulletin board in the back that I built. And I want to go back to it, but my handwriting is really bad. So just rewriting them and even reading them so I can move around is, is awful. I started thinking, I'm sure Word creates templates where you can print note cards. Like this goes back to when I was at 20 Books 2021 last year, I saw the guys from Plotter. Um, I think it's Cameron. I don't remember the other guy's name. Ryan. And I asked, uh, yeah, oh, yes, Ryan, Ryan Z. Z, right, Ryan yeah. Z. So I asked him, I said, you know what I would love in Plotter is the ability to print my, my little boxes that I write into note cards. So I could take those note cards and hang them on my bulletin board. And they, they said, wow, no one's ever asked us for that before. And I'm like, well, I, I have horrible handwriting. You probably don't hear that very often, but that's why. So I started thinking yesterday, there's probably templates out there for word. I came home yesterday in the evening, found a couple of templates. I found some paper that you can order. It looks like it's heavier stock paper that you can order. And then you could print those with a regular eight and a half by 11 printer. So I have four pages or uh, four packages of 75 each ordered. So it's 25 mm-hmm. sheets, 75 cards on three cards on a sheet. So 75 cards, each package, I have 300 cards coming. And then I downloaded the template and I started typing in my plot into there from my regular note cards. And I'm very excited to, I think this is going to kind of 
quicken me or hasten me in writing the sci-fi to where I can work on the plot better and not have to worry about how bad my handwriting is. What did I write three months ago? So I'm very excited right. about this. Um, right. You won't, you won't have to look at it and be disgusted with exactly. the way it looks. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. It, that's why when, when the first year of 20 books to 2017, everybody had a table, but there were only 250 people there, but everybody had a table. I could take my laptop and set it up and take notes that way. The second year they got rid of the tables because there were so many people. And I'm like, I can't sit and write into a notebook. So I would sit there with my laptop in my lap. And finally, after a while, I just started using my, my phone to take little notes here and there. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so, yeah, it's, I'm very, they're going to show up tomorrow. The Amazon's going to deliver them tomorrow. And sometime this week, I'm going to start typing those out and getting it to the point where I can print those out and I can put colors on them that I want. And yeah, I'm very excited right. about this. So that's my, my sci-fi book news. Yeah. Well, you mentioned plotter there. I mean, plotter as a concept is really good. But I, you know, I have a 27-inch iMac that, that I typically work on. And even that screen is too small. Too small. To hold, you can only see maybe a quarter if you're lucky yep. of the book at one time. You're, you, you need a wall-sized screen in order to work it the yeah, way it someone, should be as someone who's been writing web pages for like the last 12 or 13 years now, I hate scrolling. I hate, I hate when the people that look at my web pages have to scroll. And with that app, if I want to see like a general overview, if I want to stand back and see everything, I can't. But with right. the, the, the four foot by three foot bulletin board, I put, I built a couple of years ago and put on my wall. I can see the entire book. And if it's color coded, I, I know what's happening almost instantly right. that I can't see by looking at plotter. And I love plotter. Um, I'm going to look into plotter pro at some point when they get it in, when, they, when you can integrate it into Atticus, because I think it's mm -hmm. a great idea, but there's it, that, that is the big fault. Cause I think I have a 27 inch monitor also. And it's, it, you're exactly right. Because what it does is it, the fact that you can't see it all, prevents you from dumping everything out of your brain. You still have to hold the whole story in your brain. Mm -hmm. Whereas yep. the idea of being able to put it up on the wall, uh, the entire thing, you can get it out of your brain and you can basically look at the story from the perspective of a reader and say, okay, does this thing flowing the right way or not? Right. It's and, very and difficult I, I, to do that. I also like to see it from the perspective as someone who loves the hero's journey where I can be like, is that happening here? Is this happening here? What's our, my halfway point look like? What's happening at the end? You know, I, right. I, I want to see all that at once. So, right, right. okay. So that I, here's my question for you as someone who's written mysteries, I'm basically taking my, my life in 2019 when I was traveling back and forth to Nebraska to go to the plant that I was at. And I'm writing a murder mystery around this plant. A lot mm -hmm. of the characters are based on, and again, I say loosely based on the people that I met there, uh, the victims, the, 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 the murderer, the characters, they're all, the, even the layout of the building is very similar to the manufacturing plant. The one thing I haven't done yet, and I, obviously I changed all the names and things like that. But the one thing that I haven't done yet is I haven't said in the first seven chapters, what they actually do at the plant, what they make at the plant. It's been really, really general. And I'm wondering from your point of view as a mystery writer and someone who reads mysteries, do you think it would take away from the story if I didn't have like, what is the specific purpose of this plant? Instead of saying, oh, the cutting machine or the packaging machine, should I get more, do you think I should get more specific with it? Maybe you'd have to read it before you can make that decision, but what do you think? I think in general, probably not. You know, what would be nice to know as from the reader's point of view, and that's just, maybe it's just for me because I've worked in, in a lot of different, with people in a lot of different industries to know what kind of manufacturer it was, you know, what kind of widget are they making? Right. Because that would give me personally a sense of what I would have then in my head to have an idea of what the floor layout looks like, what kind of the, some of the basic steps are in, in producing whatever they're doing. But, you know, that's totally irrelevant if it doesn't impact the plot. So if nothing about specifics of what they're doing impacts the plot, then it doesn't really matter. 
it doesn't impact the plot in terms of it makes the book any better or worse, but I, well, uh, wait, let me say this. I think the descriptions would be better. I think it would be more easily formed in the reader's head if they knew what was being made. So, and that's the fear I have is that if I put it, cause the, okay, the plant that I worked at was a hose plant. They made hoses. Okay. And, um, and I don't, my, my issue is I, I, I don't want the people to read it. If they read, I'm friends with some of them on Facebook that's, that still work there. And I don't want them to, to read and go, oh, he's talking about me here. Although yeah. I fear it and I don't work there anymore. So I don't know if I should care that much, but right. I, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how to feel about the fact that I'm, I'm basically taking a lot of people, the plant layout, this, even the town layout. And I mean, we stayed in a brand new hotel. It was only open two or three months when we first started going there. Well, my characters are staying in a brand new hotel. I mean, it's, it's very similar to, a, and, and I don't want people to be insulted by it. If, if they think I'm talking about them, that's my big fear. Right. Now. Right. Well, the one thing, when you said hoses, the first thing my mind jumped to is, okay, what, what can we use as a replacement for hoses, but it's not too far yep. away. So it doesn't take you out of the story. And that would be something like conduit. You could, could be a plant, a plant manufacturer's conduit, manufacturer's sewer pipe, manufacturer's uh, the, uh, that plastic pipe that they use in landscaping to drain water. Yep. You know, just stuff that's not hoses, but it would still give you the sense that you know the environment that you're telling the that's, story in. That's interesting, because I'd have to do a little bit of research there, which is something I'm trying to avoid. But because I know that plant so well, I don't need to do that research. So I do like the idea of getting really close to close to it though. That's interesting. My, and my dad growing up, my dad worked 25 years at a general electric when they made light bulbs. I okay. could probably substitute that in and it wouldn't, no one would care. Right. So right. I may do that too, but I am interested in the idea of, because I know that plant so well, and the chances are pretty good that somebody who does something similar is going to have a lot of the same processes and machines and everything that that might right. work out. Okay. So, right. Yeah. And in terms of being of the detail, all you really need is when you, when you have a character in a place in that setting, you just need to have a couple of small, a couple of details that gives the reader a sense of what their environment looks like. Like if they are on the packaging line, you, know, you can talk about the buildup of, of cardboard dust that's over everything in the in those areas, and the and the uh, the plastic strapping bands that holds the the pallets of uh, of uh, blank cardboard when it comes in. How those things, you know, you cut them, you're supposed to throw them away, but they end up all over the floor everywhere, right? And people are tripping over them. You know? So okay. You know, all right. That Something works. Like that That's good. I love the idea of being similar. I'm going to look into that. That's a good yeah. idea. Thank you for that. I'm glad I could do on this. Yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that is what my week looked like. How about yourself? Well, my week is pretty much the same every week. Uh, it's not much variation in big blocks during the day. I usually get up at 7 a.m. I go immediately to the gym. I work out. Then I, uh, for about an hour or so, then I'll go and I'll write. And I usually write so get up at seven, go to the gym for an hour, have some breakfast from nine till about one or two, I'll go to someplace and write. I may come home. I more often not go to a coffee shop or go to Chick-fil-A or go, go to the library, I go to the library as well. And then I come home and after that, it's a honeydew list. And the honeydew list right now is we're remodeling our master bath. So I've been we started second week of January, stripped the thing right down to the studs and the slab. And so we're now rebuilding that. Uh, so Monday, upper body day, you know, vary what you do each day. So upper body day, I was actually at the gym until 8.30 and then went to Lighthouse Coffee, which is a place that's about two blocks from actually where I live. I could walk there. 
And I started doing the editing on, on the book, the book one that I'm working on. Uh, and I really love this location, although I drink way too much coffee and I get all jittery. Uh, <laughs> because Lighthouse, it, it's an interesting concept. And I think they have these in some other cities as well, but it's, it's basically a, a, a young couple who started this coffee shop, they actually kickstarted it. Um, and, or GoFundMe, one of those, you know, one of those pages, uh, $50,000 they raised off of it oh. in order to start this coffee shop. And what the, the whole motivation behind this coffee shop is not only to sell great coffee and to provide a relaxing atmosphere for students and things from the university. I'm like a mile and a half from Louisiana State University where I work uh, to come in and study and stuff. But their whole reason for wanting to do this is to employ refugee women to give them a sense of belonging not only to the country, but also a sense of being able to start control, gaining control of their lives. Because most of these people have been kicked out of war-torn areas, you know, Syria, uh, places in Africa, Chad, you know, places like that. So it's a, it's kind of a neat thing. I feel like I'm doing a charitable work as by going there and spending my money, you know? Right. right. And, and it's a neat atmosphere too. There's, there's nothing I like better being an old now that like I am is to go into a group of young people because you get, you just feed off the energy and the excitement that they have about life. Whereas, you know, you get to be my age and you start to say, well, you know, <laughs> you're a cynic. I, I may not have seen it all, but I've seen a whole lot, a lot of it. And you know, most of it wasn't good. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I, I usually do that. I go there till after lunch. Sometimes I'll eat lunch there. Sometimes not. And then I'll come home. And uh, on Monday, I came home and you know, pulled out the remaining section of drywall that we had in there and started rewiring the bathroom. Tuesday is always my aerobic day at the gym. It's there till about nine. Uh, and then I did one of your your things. I went to Chick-fil-A for breakfast, nice. which I too love the chick their breakfast. I'm a real uh, chicken biscuit fan. So, And I, I know I freak people out who are watching me because I get my chicken biscuits and I take them apart and I eat but I eat the bottom part of the biscuit, then the top part of the biscuit, then the chicken last because I love the chicken the most. Okay. <laughs> it's like an Oreo. Yeah, exactly. It's just like an Oreo. <laughs> uh, and then I uh, s- sat there and I edited for a bit, uh, probably got the, and then went to the library. And probably on that day on Tuesday, I got the bulk of the, of the 1100 words or so that I got for the week uh, done. And then again, more honeydews in the afternoon or more more remodeling went to Lowe's buy drywall before it rains one of the things I found I've got pickups so it's easy for me to get stuff back and forth from the home improvement centers and stuff but in Louisiana we get an average of about 60 inches of rain a year and this past year we've gotten well over 80 so every, every other day you can expect it's going to rain so trying to get supplies back especially supplies that have to stay dry like Drywall, for example, uh, from the right, from it's right the there in the name. Yeah, it's right there in the name. You have to really dodge the weather. So I dodged it, got home. I was just starting to unload the truck, and it started to rain. <laughs> so oh, I did. I didn't. Did manage. Did manage, did manage yeah. to get it into the carport in time, but you know, just barely. And then I spent the rest of that day after I did. I didn't do any actual remodeling on that day. Uh, spent the rest of the day reading. Like I said, I read. I have typically in the past read hundred. 200 books a year. I always try to read in the evening. It's kind of the way I unwind. Uh, if I don't read, I end up surfing YouTube or something, which is really not a good way to unwind. Uh, oh, typically. Well, really? Because I do that every single night. <laughs> well, not for me anyways, because I tend to, I end up doing things like watching uh, uh, the clips off of 
like most recently the Reacher TV series. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Yeah. But then it's nothing but violence and action. Uh, Definitely definitely doesn't slow down your heart rate. (laughs) Yeah. To get ready for bed. So Wednesday, uh, leg day at the gym. Uh, Then went to the lighthouse again. And by noon that day, I uh, basically edited all the chapters. I did all the editing I was going to do for the day or for the week. Uh, Backed off at 2 p.m., came home, had lunch. Spent the rest of the day hanging drywall. And then Thursday, I woke up and I realized, you know, I've been hitting the gym too hard lately because it was like I had hit a wall. My my arms felt like lead. My my legs felt like lead. So although I nominally got dressed for the gym and headed in that direction, I actually went to a bagel shop instead. Nice, <laughs> and, nice. And sat sat there and carbo loaded. <laughs> they have the this bagel, New York bagel, it's called. They have the best uh, uh, sausage, egg, and cheese sandwiches in the world, uh, and they're really cheap. They're like you know three bucks or something yeah. like that on, on a full bagel. So I I think I ate two of those really. It's not not what I should be doing. Right. Uh, not if I want to be losing weight. Uh, so I, I knocked off early from, from stuffing myself, got home around one, put some drywall mud on some of the, of the new drywall and just gave up for the day. And I think I basically napped the rest of Thursday. <laughs> That's like a great day if you ask me. Well, Skip you know, the I, gym, nap, yeah, yeah. eat some breakfast. Well, there, you know, I, I tell my wife that there were many, many days and weeks and months when I worked uh, the job at LSU teaching and doing research where I would put in 18-hour days. You, know, you, you put in your 10, 8, 9, 10 hours at the office, and then you come home and you have to work all evening, either grading or getting ready for class oh, okay. the next day, or you know, you're writing a paper because obviously when you're academics, it's, it's publish or perish. Um, so... I, I, I just don't feel like working that hard anymore, which, which, which is another thing that gives me the sense that I'll probably make, never make this a real business. Right. Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit older than Craig Martell, but, you know, I think we're probably in about the same kind of shape. And, you know, he still has that drive to put in those long days, but not me. I, I don't have anything necessarily to atone for, like he constantly says he does. Uh, so I just don't have that kind of motivation. So anyways, Friday, slept in again because I'm getting old and went to Chick-fil-A for breakfast. But then I finally did drag myself to the gym about 10, 30 or 11, did that upper body workout that I was supposed to do. Then I went grocery shopping. Friday is usually my grocery shopping day. I know you usually do yours on Sunday. Sunday, think, right? yeah. yeah. I like Friday afternoons is usually the, the kids that live around here. I'm just surrounded by student housing, basically. And, you know, there's LSU has somewhere close to 40,000 students in it, I think. So... They're, they, if they, if you hit the stores when they're hitting the stores, you know you're in lines twelve deep in order to check out. But Friday afternoon, they're all getting ready to go out for the night. So right. You don't have to worry about it. So I went and did that, and then I got I got the burr in my butt to actually start that uh, Who Done It Udemy course, and that's when yeah. I started it on Friday. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I, I would really like to know how many of those courses that guy sells because. He's um, he's pretty deadpan in his delivery. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not it's not a rah rah excited kind of kind of guy, uh, which you know I kind of appreciate in a way. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you know here I am. I'm I'm giving you what I think facts and figures and whatever. Uh, but yeah, I think for a lot of people it would be you know this is not exciting enough to hold my interest. You have to really yeah. be in the throes of wanting to write a mystery in order to 
go through that course. I think the thing that I really enjoyed about it was that even though he, cause he, you're right. He is 100% deadpan. He has no emotion. He's just, here's what you do. Here's, I had a, I had a, a teacher back when I was in high school, uh, Mr. Baker, and he used to use those overhead projectors. And every day it was just put a sheet down, talk about what's on the sheet, move to the next sheet. And that's kind of like what he's doing. He just moves from the next chapter to the next chapter, going through everything that's, that's gotta be part of it. And, um, but the thing that gave me excitement was as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking about my book and how I'm plotting my book. So I got the excitement from my own story and listening to him kind of tell me how to do it. So Right. I think that's probably what captured me. Uh, what really captured me on, on the first uh, video where he actually gets into what should be in the chapter by chapter is when he talks about the first chapter having the from the POV of the antagonist and showing the murder. And I, that got me to think, I never start my murder mysteries that way. And I always start with the, the emotional conflict between the protagonist and what would be, I guess, in his nomenclature, the, the guardian, mm-hmm. uh, or, or maybe even the psychic. Uh, and, that, and that the murder doesn't come till later. And I, I, my books have been, when I did do a few and put them up, uh, they were they were well reviewed, but when I did have uh, negative comments, the only comment negative the main negative comment was that the murder occurs too late in the story. Because sometimes my murders won't that, that's really going to drive the whole story doesn't occur until the fourth chapter or so, when you because you're built trying to build up you know up to it. So that got me to thinking, well, maybe I should change things around this time and see if I put it up front what it would be like. But then as you get into the problem, like you said. How are you going to avoid of revealing who the murderer is? Uh, yeah, when, I did mine. You don't want to. Right, exactly. I did mine like he said. I put it in the first chapter, but I, I didn't realize, now that you say that, I didn't realize it said from the antagonist's point of view. I did it from the victim's point of view. So the victim basically dies in the end, and that's the last time he's a POV in the book. Yeah. I think they said from the antagonist, but it could be from the victim's yeah. point. Actually, the victim's point of view would be a way to, to uh, do two things that he said, or two things that you probably want to do. One is to build some... Uh, empathy for the victim yep although although typically in, in cozy mysteries that's not a big deal because the, the murders are shown off screen and they're usually just somebody that you know nobody cares about because the whole thing is about the old lady who's going to do the solving right you know? <laughs> but yeah it would also if you do it from the victim's point of view it also help you hide who the murderer really is yeah and that's Whereas, i think i'd written it from the, the the murderer's point of view the first time and i couldn't figure out how to do that i also wanted stuff to take place before the murder happened which means i would have had like the murderer standing outside of a door listening and that would have been kind of boring so that's when i wrote it from the victims and you're in the you're in the victim's head big time probably more than you're in anybody else's head so far in the first seven or eight chapters i've written right. where you're in the victim's head but the problem with that is building empathy for the victim is uh, the whole reason I wrote it is because I wanted to kill off a certain person that I couldn't stand while I was going back and forth there in 2019. Uh-huh. So I thought, how do I build empathy for this person that I couldn't stand? So yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I did it or not, but I do have a legit reason why the, the victim does get killed. So I think I did okay, but I, I may not have built that much empathy for him. And then I spent right. the next six chapters telling the reader how everybody hated him. So, yeah. Well, you know, you, uh, the reader doesn't necessarily have to have empathy for the victim. Uh, in fact, kind of one of the tropes of uh, the murder mystery is that one typical trope is that the person that murdered is just a despicable human being. And the question really isn't why he got murdered, but it's who murdered him. And the thing that drives the story is the protagonist's need for uh, justice to occur. Uh, and, and that's kind of the really the strong emotion that does it. But yeah, I don't know. 
again, this is one of these things that you know, I'll probably figure it up when I figure out when I grow up finally. You know, how, <laughs> I, how I how I want to present these things. You'll get there. You'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, that was it for Friday and then Saturday. I just worked on mudding sheetrock. That's kind of a, a major pain in the butt to do that. Uh, installed some dimmable lights. We're going. To, we're putting in a big soaking tub as opposed to just a regular bathtub, which would be nice. Uh, I've always loved Japanese soaking tub tubs. Those wooden furrows. I don't know if you know what mm -hmm. those are, but um, we're not actually going to have one of those. It's just going to be an acrylic tub, but still, it'll be cool. Yeah. Uh, and then Sunday today. Uh, Sundays are, are really uh, structured. We we have church. Go to church in the morning. We go to a local church, and then we come home and we do church from Pasadena, an Anglican church in Pasadena, where my son goes. California. So, yeah, California, Pasadena, California. Gotta love uh, the internet. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it kind of gives you know he's been away from home now for a few years, and it kind of gives uh, me and my wife a a way to connect. We hear what he's hearing, then we can talk about it over text and stuff. We get to see him and his girlfriend there and all that. Okay. Uh, Talk about places to go golfing. I want to go out to Pasadena because my, my son is probably like a, a seven or eight handicap. And he uh, he golfed quite a bit when he was here. I would golf with him. He's golfed there out in California in Pasadena in the hills around there. So the golf courses are beautiful. They waste an incredible amount of water keeping them green. But he said <laughs> what's what's the most interesting is when you show up there as a single golfer, you know, they're going to put you with other people to form a group. He says invariably, he goes during the day, he invariably gets put with a bunch of old men who are dressed in like $1,000 golf outfits, smoking these big fat stogies the whole way around on the 18th, drinking out hip flasks and just and just generally being Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield the whole time. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it's kind of like Caddyshack is, is yeah, what right. I said. So yep. uh, I need to go out there and do that. Yeah, that sounds like fun. So anyways, that, after all that, I did some, after the church, I did some laundry and now I'm doing this podcast. And hopefully after we're done here, I'm going to be inspired to go write a little bit. No, oh, good. No. Do you now, have a Do you have a routine that you try to stick to in terms of writing? Do you do it at this time every week? Yeah, I try to do it in the morning uh, every week after I go to the gym. Um, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a jumpy person. Um, high strung is what what my wife says, and so I, I get uh, I tend to get sidetracked on things or, or get real get real into something that's not really what I should be doing. So I find that right after I'm done at the gym is when I'm at my calmest. And when I'm at my calmest is when I write the best. So I usually do it right after the gym in the morning or the other time I can do really well is after midnight. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And then, you know, typically when I was when I was in school and when I was working, that's when I would do the majority of my writing. All the other voices in my brain go to sleep, except that one voice that I can write with. Uh, but yeah, as, I, as I'm getting older, that's really not viable anymore. Yeah, I can't stay up till three every morning and then hope to wake up before noon. Especially if you're going to get up and go to the gym. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Speaking of gym, how's your uh, weight loss thing going? Uh, it's going pretty good. I'm still mentioned. winning. I'm still winning, okay. but the but the person who you who who you saw walk behind the camera earlier um, mm -hmm. is is catching me very quickly. So uh, okay. the, the last week or so hasn't been the greatest for me. I haven't gained, but I haven't really lost either. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens this week. Uh, going to the restaurant, going to lunch two hours a week or two days a week now at lunch instead of doing the treadmill like I do the other days is is probably hurting a little bit. And I didn't like oh I'll come and do I'll do it in the evenings. I'll do treadmill in the evenings on this. I didn't do that. So yeah, yeah. Um, but but I'll get back into it tomorrow. We'll, we'll have a way in. It, it, I think we have another five weeks. It goes until like April 3rd. So I'm okay, down um, as of this morning, I was down 14 <laughs> pounds in like 
what, six weeks. So um, if I can lose another, I don't know, five to 10, I think I'd get to a number. If I can get into the, the one eighties, I think I'd be really happy. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at, I'm at 220. I'm at, I'm at the heaviest I've ever been. I'm a little bit taller than you. I'm like yeah, six one. A lot, a lot taller. But, uh, um, you know, my fighting weight back when I got when I was uh, coming out of school and getting married, I was like one eighty five. I'd be, I'd love to get down to be about two hundred. My problem is I love food. I just love yeah, food, <laughs> and I love cooking. And uh, you know, so those two things don't usually match: losing weight and loving cooking. So. No, and they make it hard to lose weight because all the all the stuff that's good for you is more expensive. And like, I'll walk right. around this, I'll walk around the store and be like, well, I can get this, but holy cow, is that expensive? I'll just get these hamburgers instead. Right. Yeah. I'd love to be, I love to be on a rock diet where all I eat is cod, fish and broccoli all the time. <laughs> and you know, broccoli I can afford, but I'm not sure I can afford cod, you know, three yeah. times a day. <laughs> and where you live, I think the food is probably pretty good down there. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, when I came down to your interview, uh, people said, you know, people really don't come down here to work. They come down here to eat and they have to work to support their habit. <laughs> and that's pretty much what it is. Uh, we probably have the highest density of restaurants uh, in the country here in South Louisiana for given the number of people that live here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you only rolling into my goals? Or? Yeah. Go right into your, you, yeah. So I, I put at the beginning of the year, I put my 2022 goals on here and I just use this sheet to keep track of them, but I talk about them if there's any changes. So if you want to talk about kind of what goals you have, um, right. yeah, feel free. Okay. Well, I already mentioned, I hope to publish three or four novels by the end of this year in the mystery series. Uh, it's going to be under the Rich Casey pen name. So that'll be uh, something I'm, I'm going to get started, get that mailing list going with it. Um, I really hope to get back to the Vegas conference again this year. I, I, I was in 2019 and obviously COVID, I skipped 2020. 2021, I probably could have gone, but COVID was coming back on the scene and I got a few other health problems I didn't want to get uh, COVID on top of. So uh, I skipped that. So I'll, I'll probably be going this year. I've already signed up for it. I got a hotel and all that. Um, I've got to finally get my website up and going for on a permanent basis. I've had author websites up and running and then taken them down and put them back up and then re, re, redone them and back and forth. And I just, you know, it's part of that being a dilettante where you like to play and I can get lost. You know how it is with coding. You get going, you get coding anything. And you can lose hours and hours and hours of your life because it's it's your your mind just goes to a place where everything else gets blocked out. Uh, so it's not a great thing to me to be doing. I should probably be using that time to write. But it's, I do, it's why I, I paid, love it. it. It's why I paid someone else to do mine because I did not want to do it. I'd never. Right. It would have never got put up if I had. I said I'll do it. It still it still wouldn't be there. I needed to pay right. someone who knew what they were doing to do it because right. I just, I did not want to do it. But the thing is, I love to play with colors. I love to play with images. And, you know, it's just, it's a time sink. But yeah. Still, you know, you got to have some fun in life. So that's, that's I do that. <laughs> um, and really, the, my big goal for the year is I'm gonna, I want to write more consistently than I have in the past. I don't want to, you know, write for a couple of months pretty consistently. Well, let, let me back up. I write consistently. because I'll write something every day because I love these fountain pens so much. I write letters or I'll write notes to myself or I'll write journal entries or whatever. But I want to consistently work at being an author and work at writing things that will eventually see publication uh, and, and hopefully eventually see some readers. So that's one of the things I, I really want to achieve this year in terms of the books and author career. Uh, this whole year, in terms of our house is, is given over remodeling. This house is 40 years old. Uh, you know, at, at about 40 years, most houses need to be updated for certain. 
and we really need to do it with ours. So after doing the, the finish the master bath, we got the guest bath we have to do, we got to redo the laundry room, redo the kitchen, uh, pretty much painted everything else like the bedrooms and that. So hopefully by the end of, year, end of the year, I'll get all that done. And then the reading, which is my other big pastime. Um, if I'm going to write a lot this year, I'm going to have to cut down on the reading. I can't read 100 to 200 books and do all that writing. So I'll be happy if I do about 50 or so. Uh, and I'm thinking it's probably, if, if I get like a 50-50 split between the number of words I write and the number of words I read, I'll be happy. So maybe That's about 200, yeah, about 200,000 words each should get me to where I want to be on both ends. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, also in my reading, like a lot of people, and you kind of get stuck in ruts uh, of what you read. And you know, it became real obvious towards the end of last year that I was really stuck in the old white male author rut. Uh, and I need to, to branch out to get other voices, especially if I'm gonna be doing writing. I mean, it, it helps to have a diversity of voices in your head, even if they don't show up on your own page. Uh, it always helps. And so I've tried to in, incorporate more female authors in my list. And I've started that off this year uh, with uh, Ellie Griffith's uh, Ruth Galloway series, which is a, a murder mystery series. She started publishing them in 2010. Uh, I believe she's, I'm not sure what imprint she's with right offhand, but she's traditionally published and the protagonist is an interesting character. It's a 40-ish overweight female who is a forensic archaeologist. And gets, it's in, in the UK. She gets seconded to the police to identify bones, to date them, to you know, do analysis of what killed the person, et cetera, et cetera. And that obviously, or uh, more, I guess, typically, she ultimately becomes the object of the murderer's quest because she's revealing too much about what's happened. Uh, so it's been really interesting. And there's a real, some interesting social dynamics going on there between her and the police officer and, and the police officer's wife, which is kind of a, you know, a little menage kind of thing going on there. Okay. And the other thing I want to do is uh, incorporate more, more writers of color, uh, which I don't, particularly, I don't particularly like the idea of having to be politically correct or people, you know, worrying about that. But what I have found is that writers of color have a completely different voice in, in the way in which they write and the kind of topics in which they write about. Uh, even if they're writing on a, in a genre that you're very familiar with, like uh, murder mysteries. I just read just before Christmas, a book called The Conjure Man, uh, by Rudolf Fischer, who was a, a Harlem writer back in the 1930s. And just the way in which they describe scenes, the way in which they describe the, how people think and the kind of actions that they take, their, their kind of belief systems, you know, it's just so, it's so foreign to me that I think it really adds to my ability in the future to be able to create characters that are uh, multifaceted and aren't, you know, just, just like me. And that's always a danger as an author, is you create characters that are just like you you know, even though there may be female, male, or whatever, it's still the voice in your head that's giving them voice. And you have to kind of tap into something else in order to make it interesting. Right. Yeah, so that's pretty much it for my goals. If I, if I accomplish, you know, two thirds of that, I'll be really happy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I've already decided that I'm not gonna get all my goals in there, but that's okay. This is like my list of all the things I want to do, not the things I strive to do, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I don't really have anything updating my goals, um, my 2022 goals this week to talk about. Um, I, I know last week I talked about the YouTube channel, which is going to be, I changed my mind on that. I'm not doing it. Uh, I also, I feel like I made a little change with the, the sci-fi book with the whole note cards thing. I think it's going to help me move faster. Um, but other than that, it's just really just writing the mis murder mystery every day is kind of what I'm working on. So um, I'm going to jump all the way down to my news. I have a couple different things I want to talk about here. Uh, Amazon ads. So my Amazon ads, do you run any ads or, or have you in the past run some Amazon? I have, ads? Yes. Mostly, uh, mostly Facebook, although I have done some Amazon. How does your Amazon ad experience? Do you sell anything? Uh, not really. No, I've not, I've had much more su success with uh, Facebook than I have. With yeah, Amazon. me too. Me too. So I, but I do have those six out there that I created a while, maybe a month or two, maybe, I don't know, a month or two ago. And I'll tell you what, ever since making that little change that I, I saw in the, the Mark Dawson course that uh, Janet Margo, I think her name was, she put on, which I haven't even watched the whole thing yet. I've just watched a part of it, but I went and I changed my Amazon ad so that it was a 25 cent click. You can't go down. You can't go up. I'm, this is how much I'm putting out there. I also changed, oh, I forget what the other change was, but I don't think that one was as important. I think this is the important one. Ever since I did that, I'm getting clicks like crazy. I've gotten, I, I've gotten, let's see, nine clicks out of 2,100 impressions. That's one click every 236 approximately. That's really good. I always wanted to get one every uh, 1,000 and then maybe one every 500, we'd be even better. But one every 236, I think is really good. Right. Um, and one of the ads, I've gotten one every 92. I've gotten now, 300, 276 impressions, three clicks. I feel like that's really good. Mm -hmm. I am paying 25 cents for each one, which is fine if I would actually get some sales off of it because sales are the most important. Clicks are great. You're right. not going to get sales without clicks, but if you're not getting sales, right. you've got a problem. So, right. but I, a couple of things. Number one, according to Amazon's dashboard, I do not have any sales off of it. But over the past five days, I've been getting page reads that I have no other account for other than somebody I know reading the book, which is, I don't think that's true. I think somebody would probably tell me or everybody I know is pretty much that's going to read it, have read it. So I'm going to attribute it to this Amazon ad because I don't know what else it could possibly be. I'm not doing any other marketing. Uh, yeah. I think you almost have to. I mean, if you're at, if you're at dead stop before you started, made that change to the Amazon ads and we're getting page reads and now you are, you have to attribute it to the Yeah. And, and everybody that, that talks about Amazon will tell you how bad they're dashboard is when it comes to actually giving you like legit sales numbers right. they'll tell you just bypass those and go to the actual number of books you've sold and the number of page reads you have and do your math from there so right. um so it's kind of cool but i'm still concerned that of the nine clicks i potentially only have one sale right now because i only have enough page reads to count for it could be um you know, 300 different people that read one page, or it could be one person that read 300 pages. Who knows? I'm going to say it's one person that's read about 300 pages right now, which means I've gotten one sale in nine clicks. I want to do better than that. Right. And I don't know what to do next. I know you're supposed to look at your blurb and your cover. Cover's okay. I like it. I, I loved it when I got it, um, but it but it doesn't match the colorfulness of my other covers. So maybe right. that could be redone. Um, so at one, at one sale... Let's say one sale every five clicks would put you in profit, even if it was a if it was a KDP. Right, period. right. Yeah. What about keywords? I mean, can you target better it with the keywords? Because if I, you're going to too broad of a target, uh, you may get I, I some think clicks. I can. Yeah. yeah. What I, one thing I haven't done yet, and I've got basically I have six ads. Well, three of them are the ones that are getting the clicks. One of them has four, one of them has three, one of them has two. What I need to do is I need to go in and see what specific keywords are getting clicked on. And if it's four, like the one that got four clicks, 
it's one every 148.50, one every 150. That's really good. But if it's four things that have, you know, maybe they're nothing to do with the book or they're like Isaac Asimov, which is cool because I think he writes time travel. I've never actually read him, but maybe that's too far away from my goofy fiction novel that, that the person that clicked on it is looking for because they clicked on the eyes. You know, they typed as Isaac Asimov saw my book, clicked on it and went, ah, this is what I'm looking for. Right. Um, right. So I need to maybe narrow down, maybe zoom in a little bit on those keywords that are getting clicks and see what they are. See if they're too far away from my book. Yeah. That's um, really important because when I was doing uh, Amazon, I was doing, uh, I experimented with automatic ads and some of the clicks that you're, I was getting, probably the majority of the clicks I was getting were beyond really weird keywords like book, 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 right, you know, right. And, things, and things like that, which have no, nothing to do with the audience you're trying to reach. So, yeah. And four, four of the nine clicks are on the, the one ad that is automatic. The other five come between some of my keywords. So right. often, and then I also, you know, Janet Margot gave me some, well, she didn't give, well, she did give it to me, but not yeah, specifically, sure. but the, <laughs> the advice on how to find better keywords. And I have not implemented that yet. One of the things I have to do is more ads. And I just have not done that. If I, when I do that, not if, when I do that, I'm going to create more ads. I'm going to make them 20 cents instead of 25 cents and see how, if that changes the click rate at all. Um, because that'll help me with the profit a little bit. If I can get a sale every, you know, six or seven now I'm in profit instead of every five for a 25 cent ad. Right, right. Yeah, and I wonder how much the actual, I mean, obviously you don't want to get too low in terms of your click spend, but whether it's 20, 25, 30, you know, that's probably in a range in which the algorithm is going to be looking at you the same relative to somebody who's only selling a, you know, I don't know, a, a box set who's willing to spend up to 50 cents or something. You know? Right. Yeah. Oh, the other, the other change that she suggested that I did was to take your minimum and not make it $5 a day, make it $10 a day. And according to what she said, the Amazon algorithm sees those two things and they under, it understands, I, I talk about it as if it's a real human being, but it understands how better to slot you in or how to have you win a bid than it did if you were just real only $5, this person's not spending much and they don't care how much they spend. So no big deal, but it gives it a better, and I, as a computer programmer, I can't wrap my head around that, but she is someone who worked in Amazon and understands this. So I trust her better than my computer right. programming brain. So, right. uh, and I do well, have to go through the rest of that. I'm going to do that at some point, go through the rest of that, uh, that talk she gave. I think it's important to always keep it in the back of your mind. Like, like I'm sure, you know, that, However, these algorithms are put together, they're put together with the primary objective of maximizing Amazon's profit in terms of ad revenue. So yeah, they're, if they're gonna see you're willing to go a bigger spend, they may not be able to slot you in because there other people are outbidding you on the clicks, but they're gonna keep an eye on it. You know, they won't just automatically discount it. Like if you're only willing to spend five bucks a day or $2 a day or whatever, you know, they're just they're probably not even gonna consider it at all. Right. And I think that's, those were the two big changes. I don't know which one of those two was the one that kind of kicked it off, but those two changes together really, really did increase the click rate really fast. I mean, I did it less than a month ago and I went from like one click in, I don't know what it was, 1200 or 800. I think it was something like that to immediately having nine now in 2100, which I think is really good. So, yeah. um, uh, let's see. And then I, I already talked about the word, the word, uh, the, the, sorry, my dog is going crazy behind me. <laughs> Um, I already talked about the, the printable note cards, which I'm excited about. Hopefully they're not flimsy. They're nice hard stock that I ordered. Um, the big news is the 20 books to 50 K. Yeah, uh, I don't think I'm going to like this. You're, you're probably not going to like this. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't, I don't know what's going to happen yet. I, I've already signed up. I haven't booked the hotel yet, but I've already signed up and paid for it, but there's a chance I don't go. Um, in fact, right now I'm leaning towards not going only because 
I only, I started this new job. I only have so many vacation days and there's so many things I want to do this year that I have opportunities mm. that I may not have. For example, Spain is a big one. I've already bought the flight to Spain to go to that writer's conference for 20 books. I've already booked the hotels. I'm very excited because I'm staying in this giant resort on a beach um, in Valencia after the, after the conference is over for a week. And I'm gonna try to golf on there and places just lay on the beach one there. So uh, I'm really excited about that. An opportunity came up for me to go to Myrtle beach and take a, a day or two there. And, and I don't, I only have so many vacation days. Um, the, the big one that I'm looking to do is come down a little bit closer to your neck of the woods, a uh, guy I golf with on the weekends. He wants to do the Robert Trent Jones golf trail oh, yeah. in Alabama this year. Uh, he just retired last summer and, um, he retired a couple months before I quit my job there. And I had mentioned that to him and he says, yeah, I want to do that in October this year. And if I do that, that's yet another five days. So Spain is six days. That's five days. And then all these, other, you know, my buddies and I usually go to Vegas in March for the final four or for the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament to bet on, on games. Well, we're not doing this that this year, but we are going for one day on a Friday down to Pittsburgh to a casino there where you can bet on sports. And so all these things all added together is now right. over the number of vacation days I have now. The one thing I'm going to try to do ASAP is go to my boss and say, Hey, um, can I get five more vacation days? I don't know how that's going to go. Um, the good thing about the company I work for is after a year, you get five more. So yeah. he's either going to say, yeah, you've been working a long time. We should have given it to you when you started or no, just wait until next year. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a pretty laid back company that I work for now. So I could imagine a scenario where they say yes. And if that's the case, I am going to come to Vegas. But if that's not the case, then I'm probably not going to come um because well, i don't want to get to the point good you're, you're still going to be at 20 books in yes. spain so yes yeah you yeah. know well, i i think about this every year well actually for the 35 years i was working in you know in academics you would have conferences that come up about once every four or five six months and intellectually i can say yeah these conferences are great you know for networking you know for learning new information and stuff like that but you know, when it comes right down to it at these conferences, I don't like to network. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't necessarily like to talk to more than a couple of people for a whole week. You know, I'll, if, I, if I meet two or three new people, that's, too, you know, that's fine with me. And, um, you know, with the 20 books thing, it's, you can see all the presentations. And, you know, unless you're really into trying to run down collaboration, collaborators, or if you think you're going to pick up some nugget of information that's not known to everybody out there in the world, which, you know, there is no such thing. If something works, everybody's going to know it eventually. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's mainly those 20 books conferences are maybe a, a mainly a way to just get away with a, a bunch of people who do the same kind of thing you do and just feel like you're actually part of a bigger group and you're not just sitting there in your house by yourself, right. You know, doing this kind of stuff. So missing it, I don't think is ever a big, uh, a big loss. Well, my only fear there is that I've gone to every single one of them, except for like the Australia ones, but I've gone to every one of them out of the country. Like, I feel like I need to keep this streak going, ah, yes. uh, but I really want to golf the Robert Trent Jones golf trail <laughs> a lot. And if I have the opportunity to do that this year, I would rather do that. I, I saw the email Craig sent out today about how if you want to cancel, you can do it by August. No, August 31st, I think it was, which gives me a long time to try to decide whether I want to go. And I've already bought the tickets. So um, right. I have a lot of time to, to decide. So this is the, uh, when's the one in Spain? It's, in it's June? June. It's like June yeah. 4th and 5th. It's a Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that I'm definitely going to. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny. 
that power of habit, you know, not wanting to break break your streak. You know, that's the old Jerry Seinfeld thing in terms of writing, where you know you have to put a calendar on your wall, and every day you write, no matter how little you write, you have to put an X because after a couple of weeks, you can look at that calendar and you say, "There's no way I'm going to break the streak." Absolutely. You just yep, do something. Absolutely. <laughs> I love Jerry Seinfeld. I didn't know that, that he did that. He said that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. In fact, it, it, Seinfeld's literally on my TV right now, right over there. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that's the big, that's the big news. I'm undecided right now. And, and right now I'm leaning towards probably not unless something changes of going to 20 books. And, and I think I got spoiled last year with Lindsay being with me. It was where I, there, I always had someone to talk to. I never had to worry about uh, sitting in a corner by myself with no one to talk to because I always had her there with me and she's not right. going either. Um, I really hope she starts writing again next year and goes back with me because I really enjoyed going to Vegas with her. But um, so I think I got spoiled last year with that too. She's just focusing on a gemology this year? Or? Yeah, it's all she's doing is the, ge- the gemology. She has to go to New York City at some point and take a test or do something out there. I, uh, I think, like I said, I think what I might do is try to get her to be a guest on the podcast so she can yeah. update the people. I think people would love to hear how oh, yeah, she's doing. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, do you have any kind of author news you want to talk about? No, not really. Other than I finally got all my previous publications pu- pulled down from all the stores around the world. I just wanted to, uh, you know, go fresh, start again, feel like I'm, I'm actually looking at this with fresh eyes, going, becoming a new author and trying to, this time I'm going to try to do everything right if I can. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Good luck. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Good luck. <laughs> my running list of future things to do is, is pretty inconsequential. I want to get back to the Mark Dawson materials. I last time I went through them was probably three years ago, two or three years ago. So I want to go back and review all those things. Which um, ones? Well, all I want to go through everything, just at least briefly. But especially, I don't think I've ever seen the stuff on Amazon by Janet Margot or whoever it was that did that. Yep. Um, yep. So some of that stuff I want to read. I've got a bunch of unfinished Dean Wesley Smith and Catherine Rush workshops that I need, just need to finish up and just get done. See what kind of little, you know, nuggets I can, uh, I can pick up from that. Uh, and then kind of a wish list coming going forward is I really need to do something about my carport slab. My carport, we don't have basements in Louisiana because of the high water table. And we don't typically have garages. What we do is have carports. And on the other side of the carport, there's a shed. Well, that shed over there is my workshop in my lumber storage. I, I'm one of these, these nuts who fells trees and cuts up raw lumber with an Alaska chainsaw mill and then dries it himself before he does anything with oh, it. Oh, my, my dad would love that. Oh, he so, would love that. So I have, I have thousands of board feet of, of lumber in there of all different kinds of species. And I need to get that thing organized because right now you walk in and you look at it and you don't want to walk in more than one or two steps because you're afraid the whole thing's going to collapse in. Oh, <laughs> so, so I need to get that straightened up. And also in, the, in that cardboard slab, since it is my workshop, it's just covered with drips of fiberglass because I, you know, I built a trailer that I you know, travel around the country in and uh, I've done all kinds of things that have messed up. So I need to get out there, grind that down and then refinish it. Uh, put down some kind of epoxy coating so that it looks halfway decent. At some point in the future, my wife and I hope to leave and go back north because we're both basically northerners at heart. I grew up in Detroit. She grew up in the mountains of Virginia. We need to get back to where there's some seasons. So eventually we're going to have to sell this place. So we need to get in shape to do that. So that's, we'll, we'll see if any of those things come to fruition though. Um, let's see. I, um, my running, okay. So I, I looked, I talked about hiring someone to do some SEO for me for this podcast. Um, I looked last week on Fiverr after I did the podcast and realized I didn't understand a lot of the terms they were talking about. They talked about white 
white links and black links or something like mm-hmm. that. And, white hat, and black I, hat, yeah. yeah, I had no idea what any of that meant. So I did a lot of research on that. At the same time, I was looking on Fiverr. Didn't really find anyone that jumped out at me. There was one, but it was really expensive. But he he seemed to be what I was looking for. I just wish it wasn't so expensive. Um, so I'm going to keep looking at that. I'm going to look around again this week and see if I can find somebody. I just want to get this podcast in front of more people. And right now, other than word of mouth and social media, which I'm not a huge fan of, pushing myself on. I, I try not to do that very often. Um, I don't really know any other way to do it. Uh, so I'm looking at I, that. I, I, this would be kind of uh, probably nonsensical in some ways since you don't monetize your podcast, but have you ever tried to run a cheap uh, Facebook ad pointing to the podcast? Or? No, I haven't. I haven't, I haven't done anything where I have to pay for it. I, I really haven't. Yeah. But that's a, yeah, that's something interesting. I, I yeah. I, now that I have a lot of experience with Facebook ads, thanks to my, my buddy, Brian, who worked at Facebook and then gave me right. all his advertising money. Um, that's an interesting idea. It might, might be worth an writers. experiment. Yeah. It might be worth an experiment just to see what happens. Yeah, that's true. Um, I also have screen door with a doggy door. In fact, during this podcast, I had to get up twice once to open the back door to let him out. And then again, to close the back door because it's, 35 degrees outside and I didn't want yeah. all that air coming in. So um, uh, I need to get that, that, that storm door with the doggy door so he can run it out when he wants. And then of course I put on here, uh, watch the last Perry Mason because the running list of future things to do seems to think these things that take me a long time to do. And I don't know how long it's going to take before I actually watch that last episode. But so I threw it on this list. And then I also put on there, look for the, the so he came back with, with Barbara Hale and did a bunch of movies from the eighties. And I don't know why it's, or movies in the eighties where he, there's a Perry Mason two hour, you know, it's the Monday night movie or whatever. Yeah, I seem to remember that. Yeah. What I loved about that, it's a weird piece of trivia that no one else seems to care about except me is, you know, the guy who played Paul Drake in the fifties and sixties, he died between that and the eighties movies. So they had to bring back Paul Drake again. And it was Paul Drake jr. And it was actually played by Barbara Hale's son, which was William Catt. And I always thought that was an interesting piece of trivia. I think nobody else is interested, but me. Um, So I, I, I'm going to look for this. I looked earlier. I did not find them anywhere doing a, uh, a Roku search, which searches a lot of different sites. I was kind of disappointed about that, but I'm going to keep my eye out for those. Um, in terms of my addicted to, I don't really have a whole lot. Although the last couple of days I've been looking, I've been watching a lot of videos on the Samsung Galaxy Tab S6 Lite, and that's a very specific model of it. Um, I, I decided that since I'm going to do a little bit of traveling this year, I may not want to carry a laptop around with me, especially when mm-hmm. I go to like Myrtle Beach, because it's going to be a golf weekend and that's it. I'm not going to do much in terms of the internet, um, but I want to have something obviously more bigger than my phone. So I've watched a bunch of those videos. Uh, when I go to Spain, do I really want to carry a laptop to Spain? I don't right. know, but I will do a lot of writing out there so maybe so i'm not sure yet but i've tried the tablet thing a couple different times in my life and i've never been able to make it work i bought an ipad in the in like 2007 and i did not like it and gave it away to a friend after like three weeks um i have an amazon fire now that i don't use very often so i don't know if it's a good investment but i'm a person who buys gadgets about once every three months and puts them aside after using them three times so i don't know what's going to happen with this i've tried a number of times to switch to a tablet to uh, to do writing away from home, and it, yeah, it, for me it doesn't work either. Uh, the form factor is too small. Uh, I don't like the need to actually carry around a keyboard with it. Although I know right. you can get them integrated now, but uh, yeah, my my go to I guess it's been the the long form fountain pen use when I'm away from home. And yeah, I, just, I, uh, I bought. I bought a Chromebook and I love the Chromebook. I yeah. bought it. I had one a while ago. I, I bought a Surface after. Really did like the Surface, but again, it's the same thing. I didn't like the add-on keyboard to it. It just made the whole thing seem flimsy. So I use that now in my golf simulator and I bought a Chromebook just to write with. So, right. yeah. 
I had an idea for the golf simulator, by the oh, way. Oh, hit me. And I, this, is a, this is a business opportunity for you. Oh, okay. I've been in those golf simulators, and the thing that's always struck me about them is that, you know, they're good from the pers- psychological perspective where, you know, they, they, they let you see how you, with however you swing your club and however you're, you're doing your mechanics, what the end result is going to be. But what they don't do is make use of the whole branch of negative reinforcement psychology. <laughs> we really need to have those simulators hooked up to some kind of electroshock system. Okay. So, that, so that if you do bad mechanics time after time after time, you start off at a low voltage, but you eventually work yourself up to where you can't stand it and you've got to find a better way to swing the club. Oh my God. I'm still yeah. a high handicap. That would not yeah. be good for me. Uh, <laughs> I'd come in after five minutes. Yeah. I yeah, do like I, the idea of seeing people get shocked though. That, yeah. I do, I do like that. Yeah. So th- that's all I have for the addicted to what do you, what do you got going on? Oh, my big addiction right now. And it has been for weeks now is the antiques road show, the UK version. I don't know if you've ever watched those shows. I have not. There's an American version. It started in the UK four years ago, but basically they hope these antique experts hold these fairs. And they ask people to bring stuff in that they've got to, that they think might be valuable. That's just, that's old that they got from their great, great grandfather or whatever. And people in the UK bring in some amazing stuff. Like today I was watching it before we got on a podcast and this woman brought in a, basically it was, it's, it's called, a, it was called a dresser. It was basically a, looked like a table on high legs with some drawers under it, chip carved, Beautiful wood. You could tell it was old just by looking at it. It was just been in the family, been passed around. 1438 is when it was made. Wow, really? And it was worth $30,000. 30,000 wow. pounds, 30,000 pounds, which would be about $40,000. Yeah. And people just have stuff like this. So I remember watching a while ago when somebody brought in this old battered metal helmet that they had found jammed up in the rafters of their house in small in some small village. It turned out to be an old conquistador's helmet. It was worth $2 million. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it just, it, to me, it just, it shows the difference between the U S and someplace like the UK or someplace oh, yeah. in Europe where you've got, you know, hundreds, thousands of years worth of history. And here we got have 200. So people are bringing a sword here from the revolutionary war or something. And yeah, yeah, it's worth something, a few thousand dollars, but you know, there are people really have some interesting finds. So I'm really addicted to that. I've been watching that for, for weeks now. Yeah. I love, Um, I remember going to Scotland and just going to the different places around there that were so old. And then I started looking at Spain, like what's their city center looks like in Valencia where I'm going to go. And they have just these old buildings that are so, and I'm just excited to walk through them. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I'm addicted to, and this is kind of an homage to your sister, (laughs) it's lucky charms. Uh, and they're far, they're magically delicious, obviously, sure. and they're, they're just far superior to fruity pebbles in terms of uh, sugar content. So. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, in terms of taste, I got to go with my sister on this one, yeah. but yeah, and sugar content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in, in interest that, you know, uh, provides you something to do, you pick out the marshmallows as you go through the oh, box. There you in go. Fact, I remember growing up, my sister would, when nobody was home, would take the whole, the box, dump it out in the bowl and pick out all the marshmallows and eat so. Eat them. Eat them the same way you eat the the chicken biscuits at Chick Fil A. Exactly. Exactly. You separate stuff. Oh. And I and start, I understand. Start to learn about you here. Yeah. And I understand from her that you can actually buy those marshmallows by themselves by the kilo on Amazon. So <laughs> it's funny they call it a kilo because it's probably yeah. just as addictive. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. 
All right. So um, let's talk about what my week is going to look like, and then we'll get onto your side. Cause uh, I, I think um, we, we both have kind of the same repetitive week, which is probably good for our writing. Um, my, my week, I'm going to work from home just like normal. I'm going to work uh, basically 7.30 to 4.30, I believe. Um, Monday, like I said, has just kind of come, become my day off of writing uh, where I just kind of literally just sit around my house at night and watch. I, I'm the YouTube thing. I do the YouTube thing at night. Um, Tuesday, I'll go back to Hothead Burrito in the evening. The plan is to continue working chapter seven. I think I've got all the previous chapters um, changed over to where the, the mistake that I made where I have to make sure that no one knows who the real, knows that this one character, the readers assume this one character is the murderer when in reality he's not. I think I've got that all changed over. I worked on that throughout the last couple of days. So go back to chapter seven now and work on it. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, I'm going to go back to doing my, my lunch hour, which I really enjoyed. I, I'm, I would have enjoyed the YouTube thing. I don't know how, how much fun it would have been, but I would have enjoyed just doing it. But I, I think I said before, and it, it kind of goes along with what you said before, where you, you, know, you worked a lot of 18 hour days. You just don't want to do that anymore. I spent the last 13 or 14 years getting up at 5 a.m., uh, and then getting in my car at 5:45 and driving to Cleveland. It's an hour away and then starting my day at seven, not going home until six. I just, now that I'm working from home every day, I don't want to get up early anymore. Um, and I, I can sleep until seven, which means I can go to bed at like 11, between 11 and 12 and still get a lot of sleep. Um, I'm much happier going to lunch and writing at lunch than I am getting up early. Uh, and I think I've been way more productive the last two weeks than I had been probably the last few months on, on a Wednesday, Thursday. So um, Friday, back to hothead in the evening, Saturday, Chick-fil-A run some errands afterward. Um, and then Sunday Panera and groceries is pretty much my day. So that is kind of what it's, I'm looking at in terms of the book plans for the week. Uh, my plan is to now finish chapter seven, completely get my legit first draft. And then my, my actual first draft out of the way. Um, and like I said, now that I mentioned last week, big, big brother celebrity was on and it was taken up like five out of the seven nights a week. Now that that's done. I can get back into my plotting. Um, I, my story grid is almost up to date. I got a couple of things I got to put into there for the first seven chapters to get it completely ready. Um, let's see what else I need to get back to Duolingo. I don't have a clue. Do you have any idea how much Spanish I need to know to go to Spain? Do you think it's a lot of English speaking people over there? Well, um, if you're going to be in big tourist areas, yeah, yeah. There, there should be. And the other thing I, I thought about this when you mentioned this last week on the podcast is that I would check in to see what if Duolingo, if you're uh, learning uh, the correct kind of Spanish, because the Spanish they speak in Spain is not the same as Spanish they speak in Mexico. Right. And typically what we get here is Spanish that speak in Mexico, South America, Central America. Uh, Cotillion, I think, is, is what they speak in, uh, Spain, in Spain, which oh, is which is a dialect which is very dissimilar, I think, to what is spoken in south of our border so that's interesting i will check into that. i will absolutely check yeah. into that yeah i didn't know yeah. that and the only reason i know that is because there was there was a time when i knew a uh, uh a person who was a federal judge who was from puerto rico and, and he he said something about that that mm. just stuck always stuck with me i we we tend to think of spanish as just being spanish but it's not just like english isn't english yeah. right right yeah that's true no, yeah. you try to go, you try to understand people from Scotland when they're speaking English and that can be difficult. At right. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, we both know that for a fact, yeah. actually. Yeah. Since we, yeah. Um, and then the last thing I need to do is I need to book this Myrtle Beach golf trip. I'm looking at going on the 24th of March, which is about four weeks out. And uh, I think flights are cheaper on, I wasn't real happy with the, the flights that I saw um, when I looked yesterday, but I think flights are generally cheaper, I believe on Tuesday and Wednesday or Wednesday and Thursday. I forget which, cause I think they're like clearing out their, their previous sales and putting in new ones. So I'm going to look this week, uh, in the evening and see if I can find something and see if I can book something. I don't, you know, I don't really care. I don't want to spend too much money, but the, the flight in the hotel is going to be as cheap as I can get it. Um, without flying spirit. I think I'm done with spirit air. Um, and then which they have the cheapest one and they have a, they have a, a nonstop one that goes from Cleveland to Mur- right to Myrtle beach, but I'm going to try to avoid spirit air if I can. I, I think, I think spirit air is being bought out by frontier. I yeah. I saw they're merging or, or they're being yeah. bought out. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then really, cause it's good. The golf was, I can't decide if I'm going to take my golf clubs with me. That's going to be a hassle and some money that I don't know if I want to deal with. I think I'd rather rent clubs down there, but we'll see. I'm going to talk yeah. to my buddy who's down there and find out what he thinks. Um, and then, so that I'll try to get that book this weekend. So, I mean, if you look at my vacations this year, it's, it's Myrtle beach and then Spain and then Vegas and then potentially Alabama. Um, the Vegas one is actually for my fantasy football drafts over Labor Day weekend. So I'm getting to Vegas this year. That's why another reason I think I can miss the 20 books one in November. So, right. yeah. So that's, that's my schedule. What's, what's yours Good. looking like? Same thing as normal. Good. Get up in the morning, go to the gym, followed by a writing session for as long as I can stand it and then come home and do some remodeling work and keep reading in the evenings, try to keep my well filled as, uh, people say, um, but I am going to take a break this week. I've read three of the Ruth Galloway series novels in a row. So I'm going to launch into some of Steve Hicks stuff and see exactly what it is he's been writing so much of and doing so well with. Because I think yeah. he, he essentially went from a dead stop in 2018 or 2019 to over six figures a month now. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to start off with his Patricia Fisher mystery adventures. And I actually read the first one last night. They're, they tend to be kind of short. This one was like 190 pages or something like that. Uh, what Sam knew. And it's, they're first person, they're a kind of stream of consciousness. Uh, interesting, interesting. You can see where he's pulling from uh, various TV shows and things like that, Agatha Christie novels and stuff like that, typical kinds of, of scenes and interactions that you would expect in, in that kind of cozy genre and just oh, my, like, just kind ears, of running with it. My ears yeah. perk up at the, at the Agatha Christie name. That, that's yeah. interesting. I have to look yeah. into those. Yeah, I mean, it just runs with it. First person, he just, and it just goes. You know, it's, it's, fa- it's a fast read. So, yeah, I'm going to do that this week. All right. Well, that is all that we have for this podcast. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think I'm all set. Uh, all right. Me too. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, if you want to uh, send me a question or send a comment, um, you can email me jerry at jerryoveneff.com. The website is jerryoveneff.com. I'm on Twitter uh, and Facebook. Uh, Twitter is jerrye25. Facebook is jerryoveneff author. If you like what we do in this podcast, you can send me a, a, a buy me a coffee, which I, I don't have a whole lot to do with that right now. Other than if you just like it, you could throw a couple bucks my way or you could throw a million dollars my way. Then, you then I can buy some. You can have to buy some sangria when you're in uh, Spain, right? There you go. I'm going to have that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then uh, let's see, I'm on Snapchat. If you follow me on Snapchat, you'll see pretty much everything I do on a daily basis. It's the one social media where I post like every day. I have nine followers. They're just nine friends of mine. I don't have to worry about ads or stuff I don't want to see or all the dumb stuff that Facebook does where they just show you stuff that you didn't even subscribe to or, or add as a friend. 
Um, I love Snapchat. And if you want to find me there, there should be a link in the show notes. Um, there might even be a UP, not UPC. What are those? The QRL? Is that the square? QR code. Q, QR code. There might even be one of those. I'm not even sure. Um, I don't remember in the show notes, but uh, just find me there. And I'm on Instagram. I don't really do anything on there. I just watch other people. I'm a, I'm a okay. lurker on there. So yeah, that's how you can get a hold of me. Okay. Well, me, I'm, until I get my website up and going, really the only way to contact me is by email. And the address is rich at richcasey.com. Uh, richcasey.com will eventually be the website when I get that up and running. Uh, I also had to reboot my Facebook profile. I kind of, in, in the COVID uh, time of clearing out and getting rid of my mailing list, I also got rid of all my social media accounts. <laughs> so I bet that felt so good. It did. And I was, I was out for about two or three months and now I'm kind of slowly creeping my way back in um, because I found that I, I kind of missed the, uh, the camaraderie on at least a few of the author groups that I was in. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I crept my way back on. So I can be found on Facebook at uh, Rich Casey Author. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And oh, um, no anytime you want to come back, if you want to come back every week or every month or whatever, just let me know. Cause I'm always looking for other people to talk to. I think this podcast is a thousand times better when I have somebody else to talk to. Um, okay. And I, I love hearing the stories. I mean, people probably hear my thing over and over every week and a lot of it is repetitive, but hearing other people um, and what they do, I think is really good. So uh, I do appreciate you coming on. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. And I will talk to you next week, maybe by myself or maybe with someone else. Who knows? Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the new author podcast. Check back next week for another episode. And for more information, find Jerry at www.jerryevanoff.com and Lindsay at www.lindsayevanoff.com.